Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 106. Bring out your dead. Davos the dead man with Chase. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hola everybody. And joining us today for the first time, longtime Blood Rider and friend Chase. Hi everybody. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Hi. Hey. Yeah, you know Chase on Twitter as the Ghost Chase Killer. I wonder where he got that handle. Um, but a mainstay in the fandom. We mentioned this about uh, Beth in our last episode, but Chase is more of that fandom glue, just a fantastic individual and human being. I got Aww. to meet him last year at Ice and Fire Con. I think, Scad, you guys met the two years before that. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, hashtag where we should be, man. Hopefully, maybe the spring. Where we should be. Where we should be, um, but let's get uh, let's get right to this thing because we got a lot of stuff to talk about with the Chase Man, so with the killer. But yeah, we, um, guys, we're loving these Meet the Kalisar episodes. I don't know, Chase, I'm put you on the spot here, but how'd you like the first two? Were they fun for um, you? Yeah, it was it was good. Um, I, I was really excited to hear from Misa because you know I just I've been following her for years and, you know, interact, you know, from time to time, but it was cool to get to know her. Uh, you know, Beth, I met last year as well at Ice and Fire Con uh, with her husband, Justin, who are both awesome people. So I really enjoyed the episodes. Yeah, it's been so much fun to just kind of bring the Kalisar a little closer. So we're going to keep doing it for a while. Yeah, we. I mean, in this downtime, right, Between, before Wins is released and like... I, I mean, I, I feel I feel like a little bit of weight, like there's maybe some some weight around the fandom. And I, I this is just some a different a different way to look at the material and a way to just keep the fandom together and introduce yeah. some people that have been around to you know to the format. And I in fact, it. we brought this we brought this idea up. We first talked about it probably like a year ago in some form. Yeah, we talked about it just briefly, I think, just over email and it. It sounded fun, but it didn't feel like, didn't feel right really at the time. But to your point, Scat, about just like, it, it just feels right right now. It feels yes. like we need yeah. it. So yeah, yeah, I love it. But, and yeah. uh, also, uh, we, we, the format we, we just abandoned for this format was the Whitipisode <laughs> format. Uh, but we released just, just this morning, actually, we released to our patrons, uh, our $6 and up patrons. The What If Barrack Had Won the Battle Under the Hollow Hill episode. So if you love those What Ifs, check us out on Patreon. Um, those are available there. And uh, it was a good one. It was a lot of fun. We kind of went off the rails a little bit. And, no, uh, I listened to it today, I, about an hour and a half ago before we started recording. I, I list, finished listening to it. Oh, yeah? Oh, did you? Great. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. I liked it. Good, good. All right, well, let's, let's dive right in. Uh, we're talking Davos 4 today from uh, Dance with Dragons. Um, but I imagine, you know, as we've done quite a bit, we'll wander into lots of other areas. Um, especially the days of Davos after dark yeah. are just gone. They're, They're gone. just a thing of the absolute past. They're gone, <laughs> uh, especially with the North Remembers plot line and the Stark children and maybe potentially the Red Wedding. I think there's a lot of good tangents we might hit here, but mostly we'll stick to the Davos four chapter. Mm hmm. Yeah, and as always, we love hearing from you. We love getting new ideas for things that we can talk about, whether on Patreon or on these regular episodes. So reach out to us, DavosFingers.com. Our email address is WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. We're always on Twitter, at DavosFingers, and uh, you can find and like us on Facebook. You can learn more about our Patreon program at Patreon.com slash DavosFingers. 
What's right? Well, you guys may be still getting used to the format, but and so are we. <laughs> but we st- we always start out with a little section to get to know our blood rider for this this episode. And this week it's Chase. So Chase, the questions start out easy. Who are you, man? What drives you? What are you about? Um, my name is Chase. I I'm a dude with a I got a wife. I got some kids. Uh, and you know, regular fella. A really cool wife, by the way. Yeah, like I, I think so too. <laughs> like my one question about that is is how Chase how? <laughs> um. Well. Uh, no offense. Do, by the no. Way. Do you want to know? Oh well. Um, do you want to? All actual, three of us are in the same boat yeah. with this. It's fine. The actual story, I guess, will probably play into a question you were going to ask me here in a second. Yeah. Um, but we met at a friend's birthday party um, on April twentieth. Um, Beautiful. And her and I, her and I were the two people at this bar wanting to really not be at this bar because it was 420. Uh, and we kind of, we, we bonded over that. We were married three years later to the day. Ah, uh, you got married, you got married on, on April 20th? Yes. That nice. is amazing. Yes. So nice. it's, it's, you know, it's part of the relationship kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I, and I feel, I feel it's part of her. Well, both of yours really, I suppose, but just a big part of your life. I mean, her. I, can I out her Twitter handle here? Well, no. I mean, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Baked book uh, lover, uh, which which is just yeah. great. Um, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite. One of my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite followers. Uh, on or my favorite followers on Facebook as well. Just great, great posts. But, um, yeah. I mean, it feels like you guys have this, this whole thing in common that, that now kind of transitioning Ace into the next question kind of really runs part of your life or a huge part of your life. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, for a living, I am the sales manager and one of the growers at a medical cannabis farm in Oklahoma. Uh, we do uh, licensed medical cannabis. And that's fairly, I mean, it only became legal in the last couple of years, I remember, I think the, the first time we met, that was an opportunity that was just kind of emerging for you. Yeah. Cause with that, cause this, well, you guys started this farm from nothing, right? Yeah. Well, um, I was in Atlanta. Uh, I, mm-hmm. you know, with the job I had been at for 10 years or just almost 10 years and the 788, the bill that legalized medical cannabis was passed and, you know, there was an opportunity to come and give it a try. And my oldest friend and I, he, he went and found a guy we knew with some money. And now he and I are growing really good pot. If I do say so myself. If you do say so yourself. <laughs> it's very, Chase, it's very. Chase, a medical condition. I hope you're not sampling. Oh, no, I have a medical card, man. I got, yeah. Doctor says I need a vacuotomy. Uh, and and topically, uh, not that we need to spend a bunch of time on it, but I think Congress today voted in favor of of legalizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I saw that. It's interesting. Anyway, was it was it legalizing or decriminalizing? Decrimin- there's a difference, right? Yeah. yeah. But, 
But hey, friends in Georgia, please vote uh, in January. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a big thing, right? Yeah, vote in January, and maybe this will get passed in the Senate. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a lot of faith. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... We're, we've been making less and less of a secret about kind of political leanings, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Chase is no bones about it. Chase is just right out there. Good no, it you. says it, it. It says liberal right in the bio on Twitter. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Scad and I used to be like, no, we need to be careful. Yeah. Like, we don't want to alienate people yeah. if we start talking politics. And now we're like, nope, nope. This is beyond politics at this point. This yeah. is a matter of goodness, Decent. Decent. yes, morality. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So one thing that uh, Chase, you and I have bonded over is music, for sure. Um, Chase plays a killer rendition of Alice in Chains' Don't Follow. Oh, that he played for me. It's uh, <laughs> that he played for me at Ice and Firecon, and the group, the group gathered around in the lobby there. Yeah, they weren't there I, to hear me. They were here to. They were there to hear Matt. I I oh. think you you stole a bit of fans there for sure. But I mean, Chase I, was I, kind I, enough to let me borrow his guitar to play a little song at the talent show and. Go, sorry, Skad. Well, I think the music was was a huge part of just the overall vibe that was going on. Atmosphere, that, right? yeah. The, yeah mm-hmm. the atmosphere that was going on there in the lobby on that crazy rainy night where nobody wanted to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was, you know, it was conversation. It was music. It was, I don't know. That was, it's a magical night. It's, I, I look back on that night as one of my favorite nights I've had in a decade. Yeah, Same. not just Ice and Fire Con, but yeah. just being with people yeah, yeah that, it was great. very very good and the music was yeah. a huge part of it uh, right singing patience oh yeah yeah uh if you if you probably scroll through uh their twitter you can find matt doing what i got by sublime i think yeah it's scroll, on there somewhere or maybe it's on beth's now. maybe yeah maybe it's on, on uh b words it's somewhere it's somewhere out there um land before time is that what that song somewhere out there no that's no is that american a, that's tale. a uh an american, american tale, american tale. Five. Five, right yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> what's the one from land before time that he sing the ballad when his mom dies i don't, I don't remember him singing i saw it in the theater when i was probably in i don't know kindergarten and it wrecked first you, grade didn't it I, it wrecked I, you. it's it's been a minute I'm old. <laughs> just don't watch all the sequels that are wrecked in a different way one of my one of my best friends gave us like i don't know two through eight or something and i was like damn you <laughs> and he probably damn. found it in the walmart four dollar bin yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and now one of the songs from one of those gets stuck in my head all the time beyond the mysterious beyond yeah okay we're gonna stop there <laughs> and uh on that note don't have to don't want to get so, sued we were talking about music. My question for Chase, and I'd like to hear this from Scad too, if you'd like to answer. Dream all-star band, okay? Any musician, dead or alive, you get a drummer, a bassist. You can have up to two guitarists. I'll accept a keyboardist and lead singer. And then we'll say we'll throw in some specialty instruments there too, if you've got a favorite. Saxophone, cowbell, bagpipes. <laughs> what do you got? Name it off. Your dream band. Um. All right, I'm... I think for me, Les Claypool is my obvious bass player. He's your bass player. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a better one. Uh, Les Claypool of Primus. Yep. Yes, uh, drummer. Um, when I was thinking about this the other day, 
I was driving in the car and just a lot of Rush just happened to be playing on the radio. So I'm just going to say Neil Peart because you've got Scad's attention. Holy cow. Uh, my two guitarists, um, Vern and Reed from Living Color and Ooh. Jack White. Deep cut. Wow. You know, Jack White I've always really liked, but his SNL performance after Eddie Van Halen died kind of cemented oh, yeah. what that guy can do. And I mean, he, and he's been around since we've been in, what, high school. But yeah, yeah. like that for me, like opened my eyes to Jack White. Well, yeah, that brilliant. guy's my guitar hero. Like that's the guy I really? wish I could play guitar like. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So uh, because you said keyboard... Uh, I thought Nick Mason, but I'm going to go with Ray Manzarek uh, from The Ray Doors. Manzarek. Yeah. And then okay. my all-time favorite singer is Chris Cornell. That's, I mean, like the range, you know what I mean? He's yeah, he's incredible. He can do anything. Heart and soul. Yeah. And then, I'm clapping right now, fans, your listeners. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, for specialty, I I can I can play a kazoo. Probably. <laughs> it's your all-star band. You're going to be a yeah, part of it, man. Right? I, mean, I put you together. <laughs> you know. You're only together because of me. I'm going to play kazoo in the band. <laughs> it's brilliant. But yeah, um, I don't know what we'd be called, though. Um, I really should have thought of that. Oh. Huh. Okay. I didn't think of a band named either. But, well, I already know what mine would be, Ragged Jenna. Right. Ops. Ragged Jenna. But... <laughs> Scad, you got one? I, first uh, of all, Chase, I love your band, man. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear a rhythm section of Neil Peart and Les Claypool to see what those two could do together. Right. <laughs> so I was only prepared with an answer to the, the follow-up question, uh, and so, but so I, but I did write some stuff down real quick, but it's probably not going to be perfect. Uh, so I've got my my favorite vocalist is a rock vocalist named Paul Rogers. He's the vocalist for a band called Free. Um, sings a song all right now because probably all know it it's not coming to your head google it uh but he also was mm-hmm. then the vocalist for um for um oh geez wow <laughs> total total all-time uh brain fart uh only your bad, favorite bad, vocalist of all bad time company sorry <laughs> well i like them with i like them with free better than bad company but and bad well anyway it's a long whole long story um uh, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit and adding like different guitarists, but I'll add Cat Stevens so that I can get his voice as well. Um, oh yeah. I'm all and, about like and his bringing writing. in the multi, multi-talented right. guys to do different things. And I'm cheating again because I'm bringing Getty Lee in uh, to get his writing <laughs> and his vocals. Uh, and even on keyboards, which I'll call piano, I'm bringing in Meatloaf. Um, and, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> no, that's a good one. And, uh, and then on drums we'll go, since you took Pert from me, I'll, I'll just go with John Bonham from Zeppelin. Of course. Of course. Who, so I'll, I'll both, oh, all I those guys Hammond. are sharing lead vocalist duties? No, no, no. Paul Rogers is the lead vocalist. He's going he's to be we'll need, if he needs lead help. vocal. Yeah. 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 Right. But yeah, Getty Lee can definitely take the high part. I was say, Getty Lee can definitely take the high part in the harmonies. The high right? harmonies. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You have any specialty instruments? I don't. Bringing anything in? No. No? no. You got a band name? Uh, no. No. The, uh, no. I'll, co- I'll come up with one. <laughs> I'll come up with one. Scad's all-star that's, band. That's my band name. 
the wonders, the oneaters, the oneaters, the band you're about to hear. Yeah. Um. Okay, mine. Uh, on drums, it was really hard for me just to not pick the whole Dave Matthews band, so I intentionally <laughs> like had to shy away because Carter Beaufort of the Dave Matthews band is my favorite drummer of all time, but um. I also tried to pick guys that would I think would mesh well together. So on the drums, I've got Matt Chamberlain of the Smashing Pumpkins. That guy just kills, kills. Uh, the bass, I had to go with my favorite bass player. I, I agree that Les Claypool, probably in technical proficiency, is the best bass player out there. But my favorite in terms of his in-the-pocket playing and ability to stay in the groove is Stefan Lassard of the Dave Matthews Band. So Stefan plays bass with uh, Matt Chamberlain on the drums. My guitarist, I I have to do Eddie Van Halen. I can't not do Eddie Van Halen. Um, although it was, oh man, I still don't know if it's Eddie Van Halen or Stevie Ray Vaughan. But I can have two, right? That's sure. Right. Okay. Uh, keyboards, I'm bringing in Ben Folds. Oh, um, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Chris Cornell's also my lead vocalist for the reasons that you stated. Yeah. It's because it's and objectively then, right. Yeah, because it's there's just I was actually surprised when we were talking lead vocalists on Twitter a couple weeks back, how many people put Chris Cornell in their top five. I knew he was beloved, but I didn't know he was that that beloved. But, um, and that's great. And then Leroy Moore of the Dave Matthews Band, who's passed away, he passed away about ten years ago on the saxophone. Just a, a man who was able to speak through his instrument. So I would have a saxophone in Ragged Jenna. All right. All right. Love it. That was a fun question. Follow up. We'll we'll be quicker on this one. Hip hop group up to four artists. Who would you bring in? Doesn't have to be four. Well, I mean, I thought about this for a while, and <laughs> this group already exists. It's, you know, the rest of the just is... old dirty bastard and smack the tag. You got Ghostface Killer. <laughs> The Method Man, Master Killer, <laughs> Wu Tang forever. Wu Tang forever. <laughs> all right, all right, Scad. You said you uh you thought about this question. Well, I didn't really think about it. I I I don't know nearly enough about hip hop genre in general. I went with the Get Down Brothers. Let's do it. Let's just do all that. Okay, all right. Uh, mine would be Nas, my favorite. Um, I'd bring in Rakim old school hip hop artist um fife dog from a tribe called quest and uh lp from run the jewels those would be my my four i think you got it you got run a, the jewels I... was like a like a phone game that too <laughs> <laughs> is that the one with killer uh, mike yeah killer mike and lp right. uh we're going to skip the next one we had on the list because we're actually going to get get a related question from Ask the Fingers, which is going to be part of this episode. Oh, yeah, uh, that's true. So we're going to go with favorite minor character, Chase. I mean, I Dollars, I oh, Ed Tollett, oh. <laughs> the, the man, man. He, I, yeah, I love Dollars, Ed Tollett. He, he makes me laugh, even when he's not trying. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Uh, I can I, totally see him as being one that like sparks one up too. Just oh, totally. Oh, I mean, he's, often, he's a wine drinker. Definitely. Yeah. 
I feel like he's just the biggest go with the flow guy around. Yeah, he's totally chill. Right. Which is which is very much Chase too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm less I'm less bummed about it. But yeah, right. <laughs> you smile a little more. Yeah. 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 But that's yeah, why true. I like him. He makes me laugh. He he brings me a little bit of joy. Right. We need that. Right. Indeed. We need that. Speaking of which, you know, during this pandemic, what are the things, small or big, that bring you uh, that bring you joy right now, man? Besides Ed Tollett's sadness, um, moroseness. Um, really, just the sound of my children laughing is really great. And then, like, my second favorite thing is like silence. That brings <laughs> that brings me lots of joy these days. And I only have two kids. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for you know anybody with more like Matt. That's so relatable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, I feel you. Like I walked out tonight. I was in the bathroom. Obviously, I'm like Wyman Manderley, and uh, I came out and my kids were all watching something together and just cracking up laughing. And it's the sweetest sound you ever hear. Yeah. But then after they go to bed. There's just this joy that you also feel. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, but but even yeah, I I, I echo the silence thing, man. I, in time in the times of the pandemic, like I'm just I never realized how much I liked alone time. Right. Like mm-hmm. truly alone time, and I wouldn't get it a ton, but on occasion, you know, like you know, Aowen and the and the and the boys would be out somewhere doing something or. I'd take a work from home day or something, um, which we're allowed to do on occasion, and and it would just be me, right? And it's just nice. That doesn't happen like ever now, and I miss it. Right. Like it it grates on me not just ever having kind of the space, you know. Do you guys ever get stressed out when you're alone? Like you, you think that you should, you're like, I got to take advantage of this alone time. What should I do? What should I do to make the most of this alone time? And you end up stressing yourself out even more rather than relaxing. I should take a nap. I should play guitar. I should. (laughs) All of the above. Yeah. No, mine would be like, oh, I'm alone. I'm going to watch a movie and then spend two hours looking through Netflix and not watching anything. (laughs) And then they get, and then everyone gets Because you got the right thing. There's pressure. Yeah, man. There's there's too much for me to choose from, and it's I feel dumb while I'm scrolling. Chase, you know I, I I can't remember whether you're much of a much of a curse word guy, but I like to steal this one from James Lipton. He goes uh, inside the actor studio. What is your favorite curse word? Motherfucker. Right. Yeah, the it's sa- just it's, the Samuel you know, Jackson. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I liked it before Sam Jackson, you know, uh, when I was a very little kid, you know, it's, it's it just feels like the most ultimate dirty bad thing to say. And, <laughs> Felt uh, like you were getting away with something. But, but Sam made it so much better, didn't he? He did. He did. Yeah, it's iconic now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Two for well, two on that word. I think we are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Why did you choose this chapter, Chase? What do you what do you love about it? Well, I mean, it's it's a great chapter. There's a reason why uh, it's like regularly, whenever it's these kinds of things are voted on, it tends to be winning the best chapter, like the most favorite chapter by the fans. 
And honestly, I figured since I was going third in this and no one else had chose it, I would just, I would get to be the guy who did everyone's favorite chapter. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I might have mentioned it to you guys. I, my first thought were the more, um, cathartic chapters where bad guys get what's coming to them. Uh, you know, like Ed fetch me a block or Dracarys or, or something like that. Uh, or, but this was just, this is too good. It's an opportunity that I'm, you know, I'm not going to get to have. I'm going to get to talk about this chapter on this podcast. So, um, oh. plus it's just, and it's iconic. You know what I mean? It's so good. It is. Well, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Should we, uh, should we jump into an Ask the Fingers question before we jump into this chapter summary? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Move it right along. All right, we got this question. Uh, man, she just snuck it in right right under the deadline, Lindsay, today. She, she does that, man. She man, does that. Just keeping us on our toes. Who are your top three favorite characters from the Song of Ice and Fire universe that don't appear in the main novels? This is come from Fire and Blood, Duncan Egg, The World Book, etc. And uh, I don't know, who, who wants to lead us off? Should Not let, me. Should we let Chase go first? Okay, um, I have thought about it in the, um, and the, for me, it's not a character. It's a kind of, it's a group of characters, uh, yeah. uh, and in particular, the children of Aegon the Fourth, uh, uh, and particularly mm-hmm. the four main sons, Daron. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm spacing for some. Um, or Brendan Rivers, uh, oh, Agor yeah. Rivers, Agor. Okay. and yeah. Damon Blackfire, and Daron the Good. <laughs> uh, that that whole everything about that fascinates me. The Blackfire Rebellion. I want. I want it. I want it. I want it. Give me more. I want. <laughs> I, want I want more Blackfire Rebellion too. Pretty badly. Yeah. I mean, just the the, each of the characters. Yeah. Each character so dang interesting to me. Uh, and and the fact that all of these people, there's like at least 18 of the bastards that are all legitimized, you know, 18 brothers and sisters having a war with each other. It's insanity. And none of them are like completely right. You know, yeah. that's mm-hmm. what fascinates me most about the dance, I guess, depending on who you ask. But Blood Raven shot first. <sighs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my answer. What do you guys got? Uh, well, I'll go next. Um I, I've been pretty obvious about this one. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the whole series is, is Rhaenys, uh, the queen who never was. Uh, I just love her. She's badass the way she flies out there to meet her doom, uh, mm-hmm. her nearly certain doom, uh, when it shouldn't even have been her doing it. Um, just awesome. She doesn't pout and get upset about being passed over. She just lives her life. Uh, with her badass husband who you know they partner partner in life and uh i just love her uh i picked glendon ball i love glendon ball uh fireball fireball's kid uh if you believe him the knight of the pussy willows uh just a stand-up guy tortured and doesn't give in lives the virtues of one of the few really that lives the virtues of a knight um in in this and the extended series um I picked uh, Lucaris Valerion. Uh, 
man, I have to read Fire and Blood again, but uh, this kid doesn't do a whole lot, but uh, just the way he flies to to Storm's End. Was he the one and, that went to Storm's End? Yeah. yeah I forget. Just, he's like 14 years old. He flies yeah. on his younger dragon um, and and just walks right past Amund, uh, Amund One-Eye, who He's the one that removed his eyes as a youth at five, and uh, just walks right past him and delivers the letter. Doesn't doesn't get his ire raised like so many fourteen year olds would, and just does his duty. And uh, yeah, I just love that kid. And then just two quick honorable mentions. I uh, honorable mentions to Corliss and Rowan Weber, uh, who I also love but but didn't make it in my top three. No, Sandok the Shadow Scout. Uh, I considered it. <laughs> <laughs> that I left him for you, Matt. Uh, he's not on. He's not on mine. Um, I didn't think about this one. As I'll probably think of guys later that I'm like, oh crap, Lindsay, dang it. Yeah. But uh, the ones I came up with were Baylor Breakspear. Mm-hmm. Um, Rowan Weber does does make my top three. I just love her, and uh, Corliss makes my top three as well. Yeah, Corliss is great. He's hard to yeah. exclude. I also considered uh, Oak uh, Oaken Fist. And his brother. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about going with those other ones, but I was, Al- you know what? Alisan was a hard exclude. There's so many good ones. Anyway, yep. uh, all right, let's jump into the, the chapter summary. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeesh. All right, so chapter starts, Davos is in a cell, like a really big cell, and something stinks this morning. And it isn't his mildewy bedroll or the privy, which is nicely located in the corner. He usually gets his porridge first thing in the morning, but not today. And that's usually a sign. Davos is uh, kind of fearing for his life right now. The last time we saw Davos, Lord Too Fat to Sit a Horse, Wyman Manderly, had asked Davos to be escorted to the Wolf's Den and had his hands and head removed. Uh, What was taking so long, Davos doesn't know, but perhaps today's the day. He's been treated with relative kindness here, given better food than most prisoners, a large cell, the seven-pointed star, to practice his reading, and candles to do it by. Yeah, they're they're kind of giving him a lot of a lot of things he asks for. But Garth, the man bringing his food, always refers to him as the dead man, reminding Davos that despite all these comforts. His day is coming. He just doesn't know when. And it's driving him friggin' crazy. Uh, he's no company outside the few people in charge of his care, and none of them are good options to talk to about his plight. So first is Garth, the turnkey who brings his porridge and isn't right, according to Davos. I loved that description. He spends his time polishing his execution axe, Lady Lou, and Davos makes probably the right decision in just staying silent around him. Thary, the other turnkey, is a 14-year-old who wants to be a knight, but the real prize is Sir Bartimus. Sir Bartimus was awarded the wolf's den for saving Wyman Mandersley's life on the trident. He lost his leg in the process, though, and he spends his days learning the history of the wolf den and now repeating it ad nauseum to Davos. Uh, suffice to say, Davos gets no news from the outside world, but he learns a lot about the northern men and their history, uh, and maybe, you know, one of the most important things he learns is that they are do, at least in their history, have done blood sacrifice to the heart tree. That's right. As the morning slides by, still with no breakfast, Davos is reviewing the letters 
that he's written to his wife and two sons back home. He's wishing he had more to say and more that he could do uh, about the situation he's leaving them in. As he comes to the conclusion, though, that perhaps, you know what, Davos, old chap, he didn't do so bad. Went from the streets of King's Landing to King's Hand, he hears his cell door opening. The uh, the man who enters is not one of his jailers, though, but Robert Glover. What, who? You remember him? So do I, you know, <laughs> who urges him to please come with him. Robert quickly delivers more news than Davos has had since his capture, namely that Stannis is fighting in the north and has freed old Deepwood Matei, Mott, <laughs> and Roose has come north and is demanding fealty to his son Ramsay, who is marrying Faria Stark. Uh, uh, Robert leads Davos to a long dark tunnel, down a bunch of stairs, then up a bunch of stairs, through a secret passageway, and finally uh, they emerge in a well-furnished room with a big-ass sheepskin map of the North and an even bigger-ass Wyman Manderley. The big North man bids him sit and drink, but Davos demurs. Sometimes I'm too clever and I make myself laugh. <laughs> I forgot Sometimes about that. I say funny things. I forgot about that bigger ass part. I'm proud of myself. Wyman continues on, informing Davos that his son Willis has been returned. Now they are in the midst of his welcoming feast right now. What's going on right now? We can hear the music. Willis had been a Lannister captive, tying Manderly's hands until he was returned. Wyman used a faked execution of Davos as demonstration of his loyalty to the Lannister cause in order to get Willis back. But now that he's got his heir back, well... Wyman can act a little bit more himself, thank goodness. Yeah, you see, the entire previous exchange in front of the phrase was a, mummer, was a mummer's farce. The phrase were watching his every move, so to get his son back, he had to comply with their direction, and he had to do it convincingly. Only little Willa failed to play her part, and she brilliantly failed at it, reminding the entire court of the debt. Uh, the debt? Reminding the entire court of the debt that the Manderleys owed the Starks. The Freys are still watching, though, infiltrating several levels of the Manderley court. Uh, he can't even trust his own maester, who has a Lannister stink about him, uh, so he, they must be careful. Still, Wyman reassures Davos with what is one of the best short speeches in the entirety of this series. Yeah, we'll give a little bit of it here. Oh, my son Wendell came to the twins a guest. He ate Lord Walder's bread and salt, <laughs> and hung his sword upon the wall to feast with friends, and they murdered him. Murdered, I say, and may the phrase choke upon their fables. I drink with Jared, jape with Simon to promise Rhaegar the hand of my own beloved granddaughter. But never think that means I've forgotten. The North remembers, Lord Davos. The North remembers, and the mummer's farce is almost done. <laughs> my son is home. Uh, Davos quickly tries to turn this rousing speech to his advantage, advancing Stannis's plea for alliance. But Manderly has another plan, a plan to bring another of Eddard's sons into the fold to combat Ramsay's claim. Roose and Ramsay are bad, but the Norse has to go along with this game until they have another option. And that is what Wyman plans to provide. They produce Wex, Theon Greyjoy's mute young squire, who informs them through carvings and head nods that he knows where Rickon is. Manderly indicates he has ships, he has knights, 
He has silver. He has lords that are bound to him. And he will swear his fealty to Stannis if Davos can produce Rickon. And his wolf. Where is it you want me to go, my lord? Wex, show him. Wex flipped the knife, caught it, and threw it at the sheepskin man. Skagos. Well, can, I, can I say uh, bravo on the Wyman Manderley? This is another reason why I chose this chapter. I was hoping <laughs> for that goodness. <laughs> I could see it. I just kind of closed my eyes and let Wyman wash over me. He, there's plenty of him to wash over you and, and others. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I stole that voice a little bit from a character on Critical Role, uh, but not not too good. But anyway, uh, let's dive right into uh, analyzing the first part of this chapter. Um, anything? Let's let's let Chase do the honors. Chase, anything you want to start with? Well, um. Like reading this chapter, you know, particularly over and over again, since I knew I was going to be doing this thing that keeps coming to me is how much I relate to Davos as a father, as a husband, who's like trying really hard to make life better for their children and, and, and for their and be a good, you know, someone who's good and failing. And he and. <laughs> Davos recognizes it. You know what I mean? He sees that he hasn't always done right by everyone, but he still keeps trying to do better. And then, you know, can recognize when he, when he has done good, you know, I just, I just love this dude. And that's kind of what <laughs> I, I, that, I've been just thinking about fatherhood and taking responsibility for, uh, the yeah. when you screw up, you know what I mean, right? And and we look at it, we 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 term it screwing up, especially we dads, because we we can never seem to, at least if you're like me, you never can seem to strike that right balance of providing physically that stuff that you're talking about, giving your kids opportunity for something better, which Davos is excelling at, right? And also just providing emotionally like being being there for your kids being a dad you know not just a father but a dad and i don't know that's the hardest thing in the world right especially you and i were just talking chase right before we started recording about how busy your days are out providing for your children right yeah and exactly you you try really hard to like you said make a better life but in order to do that you're not there to mm -hmm. be a better dad <laughs> you know and, it's difficult and in davos's case you know doing in doing his best to provide a better life for his kid he kills four of them oh. i mean you know not oh. directly right mm -hmm. but he's he's doing what he thinks is right what what most of the people uh what most of the rich people frankly in his position would do you know i mean growing up rich and privileged you you plan you make decisions for what you think your kids futures will look like and, and you, you've got all these all this opportunity to take advantage of Davos didn't have any of that he doesn't know what the, he's playing this totally by ear he doesn't know what's going on he's like well okay opportunity comes my way yes sure 
another that's opportunity. That's what yes. I do. Sure. My well, kids my kids learn to fight, right? What, they whatever comes my way, I will accept. I didn't get any opportunity. I'll take everything. Mm-hmm. It all sounds good. It's better than what I had, right? And in doing so, he, you know, um, he's giving them chances to to make a life. He also kind of puts them in harm's way, you know, right. introduces one to a, a, a seemingly pretty deadly fire god, but it's all in good intention, right? Which is the thing that you love about Davos. Everything he's doing, he's doing nobly for the right reason. He just doesn't always have the, maybe the, I hate to say he doesn't have wisdom because I feel like he is pretty wise, but like he, he doesn't know what to do, you know? Yeah, like... um you know, he had zero example to follow from his own life growing up a orphan, basically, in the streets of King's Landing, right? Yep. Yeah. Flea um, Bottom guy. Yeah, Flea Bottom. He didn't have the Cosby show to watch. He didn't have a dad, dad's example to follow. And you miss a lot of that. And he's trying to do his best, you know? Um <laughs> You guys, I can't believe it. this is a safe place. This is the only reason I feel I can admit this. My wife was watching. It's hard for me to even say she was watching the Kardashians the other night, <laughs> keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> that is her. Well, I thought you were going to confess to like <laughs> money laundering it's... or something. No, I thought I, we were getting like a real this is much dark worse, secret. Card- yeah. Kardashians was on. <laughs> this is beyond the pale, you guys. Oh my gosh! No, that's that's her like guilty pleasure. Those smutty reality shows. Um, and uh, I've got much worse, but there was I I don't even know all the Kardashians and stuff, but I was actually reading up on this episode. I was reading Davos chapters just kind of in the bed and she's next to me watching Kardashians on TV. So I heard kind of secondhand this moment of one of the Kardashian girls was supposed to be like the leading feature of this uh, fashion show in Paris, right? It was coming up. And I guess the Kardashians manager is their mom. Like she manages all their careers or something. I don't know. I guess. And I don't think so Chase or I are going to correct you. I'll yeah. say anything. Sure, dude. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Long story short, girl gets sick, the Kardashian daughter gets sick, and she can't go do this big fashion show. And so her mom's kind of freaking out, like, how are we going to do this? You know, this is so big for our reputation. This is so big for your career. Apparently, it's one of the younger, less established Kardashian girls. I don't know. Um, This is so big for your career. Kind of implying that suck it up, take some medicine, and come and do this fashion show, right? And it was well-intentioned. She's looking out, professionally at least, for her daughter's career and everything, and how this would affect them. And yeah, she's probably looking for the paycheck too, but um, she's kind of freaking out. And suddenly this guy, I think it's her boyfriend or husband or someone of the mom. She, he's like, he kind of stops her and he's like, listen for a second, listen to yourself. You're being a manager and you're a great manager. You are looking out for your children's future, but what your daughter needs right now is a mom. She needs someone who will just, Tell her she's going to be okay. She needs someone that's going to, you know, door dash some soup to the house. Who's going to say she wishes she could be there to hold her and get her a blanket and all of that stuff. That's what ma, that's, that's what you'd need. That's what she needs right now. And I'm sitting here reading this Davos chapter as that's happening. And yeah, it's, it's that constant struggle of recognizing too, when you just need to be a parent, um, 
And uh, that's what Davos is feeling. And I'm not going to say whether he was right or wrong because of his intentions, like we've always, always talked about. But that's the guilt, I think, that Davos is feeling, that especially with his two youngest, that he's never been able to just be dad. Yes. And yeah. you feel that. Well, you I feel that. Can I ask, just to, just to be clear, the actual words of wisdom didn't come from a Kardashian. It came from some other person, right? To be very clear, it's someone who's involved with the Kardashians. But not <laughs> but not one of them. Like he's dating one of them. Yeah, I think okay. he's he's involved with the mom. Gotcha. Involved Got with. it. So yeah. check out the Kardashians, guys. Keep the Kardashians. Yeah, I can That's I can find that's the, a uh, strong recommendation from I, Matt. I can find the episode. I think it was season eight, but I'm not sure. I I agree totally with what you're saying, Matt. Uh, I think Davos is, you know, we'll get into the timing in a minute, but he's had this time to think about his shortcomings, and I get the impression that Davos is the kind of guy that's his own worst critic. Um, Mm -hmm. I have written down, find evidence of this. No, that didn't happen, but I think it's true. Um, but it's hard to write this stuff down. It's easy to think about it and let it kind of go out of your brain, but he writes it down as almost like a confession. And that's why that's, that's what separates Davos from the rest of us mortals, right? He can look at his shortcoming and recognize it in this solitude, um, you know, and admit it and, and just like a man apologize for it, even though, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he didn't really do anything wrong. You know, these are all give and take situations. Right. Well, and at the end of it all, the thing he thought he was worse at was the worst at was being a husband. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know we fulfilled his child making responsibilities. That's true. That's true. For somebody, I mean, for somebody who's on a boat all the time smuggling shit, like how do you have time to do that? Really, his success rate is just yeah. through the roof. Well, I mean, you, conversion you, rate. It's hard to think about it because the entire time you know Davos in the books, he's never once gone home. Been home. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Uh, well, stuff. good stuff. What do, What do you think about uh, Garth? I just i I just thought he was a. Uh, sort of more sadistic mord we're getting that sort of jail jailer character except this guy seems i mean he seems like clearly more evil than mord <laughs> from the veil but yeah sadistic is a good way to put it sadistic's a really good way to put it i mean i want to the... see lady lou versus ariel hota and his six feet of ash That's right what I see. right uh, but you know cause uh, he, yeah he's 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 a character Bar- bartimus also kind of a character um <laughs> Uh, yeah. When he, you know, like we said, like you know, in the summary, you know, he introduces us to the entrails and the trees from the wolf's den. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. He's. Uh, I think. Great I think way Davos, to give us that history. Davos puts it correctly when he says he's not right. <laughs> it's a, a very succinct way to put it. Yeah, no kidding. It's like so. I was trying to suss out who maybe knew about the secret of uh that davos was not meant to be killed um of those people who were uh, in the wolf's den with him and bartimus knew um because he's the one that cut the fingers off the 
the dead guy and everything. Right. right. Um, I imagine that the people prepping the food are like, you know, we don't feed prisoners people just, that were going to kill yeah. this stuff. So they had an idea of what's going on. Maybe all of them knew, but I have a feeling that just like we're like, well, should we tell Garth? <laughs> oh, sometimes we say funny things like of course you're not going to tell garth <laughs> well, i think they did tell him because he he's the one that calls him the dead man i think he truly thought he was going to be a dead man well he, he i mean he certainly knows that there is a head he probably took the head you know if if, if bartimus took that. the the fingers or uh i bet that's a good point that's garth good took point. the head just let Garth use his axe, guys. Just let him do it. <laughs> he polishes that thing all the time. <laughs> but hey, if Garth isn't right, maybe they just didn't even tell him that that's meant to be Davos. So like, hey, we just got another guy for you to execute. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, another thing I, I thought about in this chapter was I wonder if George uh, Martin thought up a whole backstory to the two guards that uh Thierry's mom is seeing on on separate <laughs> shifts i just wonder because I, like, I was like what, what kind of weird sitcom did he like write the backstory for or did he at all or was he just watching an episode of the kardashians he's like yeah, i'll get this plot point okay comes from here's what we're gonna do <laughs> no there's not nearly enough grown women screaming at each other in uh, in a song of ice and fire for Yet. it to be taken from the <laughs> yes. uh, I I did take uh, part of you know Davos is in a low place and he points out something that I learned I learned from a my company a long time ago. Um, he ta- he says the worst part is not the dying, it's not knowing when or how. And it's tr- humans hate uncertainty. Um, Chidi in the good place. Well, I probably shouldn't spoil that. I don't think you've watched in that, and you should. Yeah, go for it. He dies from it. It's actually not that big of a spoiler, because anyway, it's everyone's dead a... in the good place, right? Right. Like, yes, yeah. it's not that big of a spoiler. Um, but they they hate uncertainty. Uh, it, it's because it's because our brains are so powerful. You know, they can they can soar and calculate and explore and create and do all these things. The imagination is basically limitless, right? But uncertainty can bring all of that to a screeching halt as soon as you get something you're like undecided about it's like it's a blocker right you can't do anything else so he's got this feeling of impending doom coming to him but he doesn't know when he can't talk to anybody about it which kind of sometimes diffuses it a little and lets your brain escape because oh, i told somebody at least now now at least somebody understands it's just a blocker and it's there for him i'm surprised he can read and write the letters at all um but uh the human mind, when it's uncertain, it kind of becomes its own worst enemy. It usually fills mm-hmm. that un, that that uncertainty with negativity. It assumes the worst. And that's, you know, obviously there are exceptions, extremely positive people and things like that do things a little differently. And you can certainly train yourself not to do this. But basically, the human condition fills that uncertainty with negativity <laughs> if it really doesn't know what's going on. And so it's really easy to to just wallow and get worse and worse so just wanted to bring that up that's a really good point that uh yeah that explains a lot that explains the brain block of not being able to quite figure out what to say um 
Yeah, I I know I've been in that situation. And this this uncertainty isn't like waiting to hear, you know, what for example, just now we canceled a trip to Brazil that we were going to go on in January. We oh, booked man. it back in February right. of this year and we just barely made the call that this isn't getting better and we canceled it. And that sucked, but it's not uncertainty like if you're going to go on a tropical vacation or not. This is uncertainty of you don't know if when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be your last day, right? Or if you're even going to go to bed that night, right? Like that's uncertainty. Or if so, he comes yeah, in. Yeah, I can see why that would be a brain block. Or if the guy's going to come in with a red hot iron poker and stick it on your <laughs> cock. Steal your nads. Yeah. Stick yeah. it on your neener. <laughs> yeah. But no, thank oh, you. <laughs> yeah, you're uncertain if they're going to take your hands before your head right. or something. Like, geez. Yeah, that's a different level of uncertainty. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> what else you guys got for this uh, this first section? I've got lots more, but certainly can't cover all of it. But, Matt, anything jumping out at you that you want to make sure we cover? Um, We kind of made this point already that Davos is way more influential persuasive, disarming. We said he's he doesn't give himself enough credit. He's his own worst critic. He's a lot more of those things than he gives himself credit for. Like he has Theory spilling all of his secrets, <laughs> deep dark secrets about the mom sitcom, um, and ambitions about smuggling life and all of that. I mean, look at him and Stannis. What he's able to do with Stannis is something that nobody else can do with Stannis. He was the one that convinced Stannis to go north. He put him on that whole trajectory. Uh, so yep. yeah, the point being Davos is his own worst critic. He's a much more influential, persuasive, disarming, wonderful man than he gives himself credit for. Oh, yeah, he's very, and, uh, very good at his job for sure. Extremely. And he's the last guy to, to acknowledge that, which is probably what makes him so good at it because he's always pushing to be better. He's always pushing for more. That's what Stan or Davos does. It's what made him a good smuggler. It's it's what makes him a good king's hand. It's what's made him who he is. So in, one of the, in one of the previous chapters in A Dance with Dragons, uh, oh gosh, it's one of the Florence, I don't remember which one, is telling a story about uh, an ape that gets dressed up in human clothing. Yeah. And, uh, and it's people, a dig, right? Right, snickering at Davos and laughing at him kind of behind his back or right in front of his face, really. Um, but he kind of uses that as like a no. You know, like, I can be better. I can do these things and I'm not just an ape dressed up. I can do these things and I can be convincing and I can be, I can tell the truth and I can do this my own way and be effective. And so even though he's hard on himself, I think he, he really does drive himself to be good at this. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned he has him eating, has him kind of spilling his guts. uh, The the, the one soldier uh, whose mom is doing a, a one act three's company play, I guess. Um, (laughs) He's been in the Wolf's Den for uh, a little over a month, according to the magical Song of Ice and Fire timeline, which is sometimes wrong. But that's kind of the timeline that we should be thinking about him being in there with this dread and uncertainty and trying mm-hmm. to wheedle those details out of people and um, you know, getting the candles and the seven-pointed star and stuff. The... Uh... The the wolf's den. Um, 
kind of like the there's kind of a message there. If you hold the wolf's den faithfully, you'll be all right. You start cheating on the Starks, there's a world of hurt waiting for you. They kind of give the history there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Manderleys prove later on in the chapter, of course, that they're all in. So that bodes well for them. I thought the, the language around the heart tree was interesting. And I think is maybe something a little meta by George, just to give us a hint. It says the heart tree had grown so huge and tangled, it choked out all other trees and crashed through walls and windows. Um, I wonder if this is a hint that what goes down here with Wyman, his intentions really are for the good of the North. And just as you think the North is dead, really there is this blossoming, overgrowing heart tree, right? That is just taking over everything. And uh, I wonder if that's George and his little clues. Maybe he gives us some clues later in the chapter that we can bring up too, but I liked that. I thought that was cool. It stuck out to me for the first time. I'm so glad you said that because I had a whole thing written out it's very similar about, you know, how, you know, this Werewood thrives in, in the city that worships the Seven. And I took it out because technically it's, it's at the Wolf's Den and not where Manderley's like technically, you know, it's not his seat. But, but I, think, I think you're right. The message is the same. I think from George, yeah. the message is the same. I'm glad you, I'm glad you wrote it. But that. that's the OG, that's the OG yes. location for the Manderleys, right? That's where they swore fealty to the Starks. And, yes, right. And the Starks gave them that place. Yeah. Yeah, a little a little history. I think probably everybody knows it. We probably went through it the first time we covered this, but the Manderleys have a, a very strong history of being loyal to the Starks because they had to flee their homeland um, roughly a thousand years ago. The, the dates vary depending on a few different counts from different characters, but about a thousand years ago. Um, and one of the things that I always try to convince people of is, is the nobility of, of the, the Manderley family and that they're, that they're, that they're doing, doing it for the right reasons. And um, one of those things is that I think George uses a little hint is that their rivals were house peak in, <laughs> in the, in, in the reach. And right. basically the only thing we really know about house peak, well, we know some things, but they're dicks. They suck. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> yeah, they suck. I think George is using that to tell us. He could have picked any house in the reach, right? I think he's using that to tell us something. Yeah, and they're really consistent about it. Yes. <laughs> Super consistent about the their suckiness. The yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we put characters in a song of madness just to see them get trashed, just to like troll them. That's why that's why Joffrey keeps making it into a song of madness. And uh, Unwin, Unwin Peak, I think, was one of those that we put him in there just to see how badly he could get trashed. And everyone came through for us. So. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't take, didn't take much. Uh... What else? You got anything else, Chase, for this first section? Uh, no, I yeah, I think that was about all I had. Just just a quick just a quick one. Do you think do you think Wyman Manderley like fights? Apparently, like, he did back in the day, right? Yeah, Bartimus apparently saved his life like in battle. So like, does he use like a sword or a club or like a turkey leg or? Well, I mean, on a. Like, you expect it, he's a knight. You expect him to be on a horse with a shield yeah. in one hand, and you know, who knows, a pole arm of some sort, or Trident. just a sword. Trident. Ah, there you go. Trident. Trident. <laughs> I mean, some of us fat guys can move. Chris Farley could. I mean, he was. Oh yeah. Pretty athletic. I mean, you know, maybe he was. He said he had some renown in the list when he was younger, but I just wondered whether, like, he was much of a fighter, or whether, you know, this whole saved his life thing was a little bit of. You know, it's a little bit of an exaggeration or something. 
But he did lose his leg doing it, I guess. So. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he, uh, <clears throat> I mean, he's probably been to war a lot of times, actually. Uh, did uh, did he participate in the uh, Greyjoy Rebellion, putting down the Greyjoy Rebellion, or just, did he just send sons? I didn't see anything That's what about I was it. Just thinking. Yeah, I want to say he did. He is old. Uh, I, I used to think of him as not as old, but he's he's like sixty years old now. Okay. Um, so you know he would have been like what forty forty five? Is that how long ago the Greyjoy was ago? No, Greyjoy uh, would have been less. So he'd have been like fifty something, right? Well, should we uh, should we move on to the next yes. section? All yes. Right, let's do it. Uh, we're going to do our, our Ask the Fingers. I think this one will be a, a little bit quicker. Ask the Fingers question number two comes from uh, our Queen of Gifts and, Be- and Beauty, Misa. Uh, Not me, man. Not me. Oh, you're going to expound for a bit? No. Oh, God. <laughs> what is your favorite Paul Rudd movie? Matt, I think we have to let you lead off. Oh, man. Or do you want to oh, you, you can battle cleanup if you want. Yeah, that's right. No. Sorry, uh, that's like shooting fifth in a hockey shootout. Do you want to go last? <laughs> Well, actually, it's best of three now, Scott. Is it really? Actually, actually, <laughs> actually, <yeah. laughs> it's Leviosa. <laughs> no, I went. I went. Uh, I went last on the last one. So, uh, Ant. Well, Ant Man is is really good, and uh, you get to see him without a shirt on, which is <laughs> excellent. Um, he does a really great job on a quiet little Netflix movie that came out probably three years ago called The Fundamentals of Caring. Did either of you see that one? I did not catch it, but as I, I said like before, I just scrolled Netflix. Uh, he becomes the caretaker of a disabled teenager. No, I wanted to see that, and I didn't. I would highly recommend it. The Fundamentals of Caring. It's sweet. It's kind of a feel-good movie. It's got some classic kind of Paul Rudd gosh shucks commentary but uh also has him flexing his more dramatic muscle a little bit um really beautiful film i actually want to go back and watch it i watched it when it first came out and i haven't seen it since um really really good movie that kind of shows what he can do uh and then i just got to give props to bobby newport his parks and rec it's just brilliant lovable fun classic paul rudd character uh that I love. I was going to give an honorable mention to Bobby Newport as well. He's fantastic. <laughs> Bobby Newport. Uh, Chase, you want to go next? What's your uh, favorite Paul Rudd flick? Uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's you know, it's more of an ensemble. He's not like the main yeah, yeah. guy. He's sort of an antagonist okay. in it. But oh my god, I love that movie so much. It's so good. If you guys haven't seen Wet Hot American Summer and the follow-ups that they did, which was a series and a movie, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, they did like a. Uh, the first day of camp was like a series, and then uh, right. ten years later, that was a movie. It's, right. They're all good. They're great. Uh, and Paul Rudd is funny in them. He plays like a bad boy, kind yeah. of, which is weird for him. <laughs> That's it's, exactly why it's so yeah. That's why it's great. Yeah. It's really great. Uh, well, neither of you guys picked the one that I thought would be picked, which is Clueless. That's Clueless, probably yeah. my favorite. I picked a backup for getting Sarah Marshall. Uh, uh, I love that He's movie. a very minor character in that, but he's brilliant. Do less. Do less. Well, now you got to do more than that. You look like a boogie board amp in. It's just, it's brilliant. If you haven't seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I recommend that one too. Yep. Uh, but not for the family. No. 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 It's one of those where 
just decide now when the family leaves so you're not scrolling like Chase. Right. You're just going to watch Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> just decide it now so you can just go right to it. And... <laughs> That's good advice. That's really good advice. <laughs> yeah. Make a list now. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Get to know Chase, section two. Here we go. Uh, Chase, what's your what's your song of ice and fire story? How did you find a song of ice and fire? Yeah, I don't know what if I know you? your story. Yeah, I, I don't think I do either. Well, um, a <laughs> I went to a very old friend's house to visit him and get some pot. Quite frankly, um. And this was, year, you know, obviously years and years ago. It all comes down to the same theme. I'm seeing over a theme here. <laughs> I mean, he's a, as a, as a very good friend. I've known him since I was 12 years old. Um, and I, I had recently moved back home to Tulsa. And I went to visit and he just said, hey, man, are you watching uh, Game of Thrones tonight? It's the second to last episode of the season. And I said, and I, I, I don't know what that is. And he's like, oh, my man Boromir is in it. You're going to love it. <laughs> um, and of course, the next time I saw him, I hadn't watched it yet. He was devastated. Because <laughs> I saw him. Second like, to I, last yeah, episode of season that's, one. That's, yeah. that's, that's Boromir's. Boromir's <laughs> taking two orc arrows to the chest. In that movie. Yeah, exactly. And And so I just saw how sad he was. I was like that really affected this guy. I, you know, I've, I've got to check this out. So I, I want to be sad like this. Yeah. No. So I, I, you know, I got, I, I think my mother's HBO go password and uh, my wife, Becca and I watched after watching the first episode, binged the whole thing. And I, within a day or two owned all, I, at least the first two novels. And, <laughs> Uh, after after that and then from there it was just more 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 give me more it's like I got to the end of a dance with dragons and it's more 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 i it's just one of the best things i've ever read and the fact that there's so much left uh to find out there's so many loose threads i'm george has got me hooked forever what is what is it that hooks you about it what just the depth of it i mean like i know people sometimes will complain about the food porn of the <laughs> of it i mean even even just offhandedly in this chapter wyman manderley describes what they're eating out there you know what i mean it's like it's just it's everything and then i'm i'm kind of uh or at least when i was a younger man i really liked history and uh and now like reality is so much worse than all that crazy history i i, I like the fantasy <laughs> history now right you yeah know. yeah yeah that's what i think that's me. one of the things for me too uh, just how deeply thought out all the history is and how it relates and i know uh you know they call him a gardener a lot and he's kind of figuring out the history sometimes as he goes but it's just rich i love it yeah but then every once in a while he'll have a hundred thousand words on the targaryens you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> that exactly. end up getting published you he know? just seems to like spit out just yeah. you know what put that in a book somewhere <laughs> yeah jeez 
So that's that's the books themselves and your journey there. But how, how long have you been engaged in the fandom? Did you start with forums or did you um, stay away from all that stuff? How did you how did you find the fandom? I'm, I mean, I probably just because I was so hungry for more content about a song of ice and fire and so that's when i started looking for podcasts it's the first time i ever listened to any podcast was hmm. was you know searching game of thrones and a song of ice and fire podcasts uh and uh you know well, like most folks i found you guys i found uh radio westeros history of westeros um uh or even like uh, what boiled leather audio hour and that kind of stuff and and uh, cast of thrones even like when I was super into watching the television show, uh, um, but yeah and then I just needed more content and then that sort of drove me on because I was already on Twitter I was just kind of running in a <laughs> different circle I was kind of in atheist Twitter at the time <laughs> and and like oh how did you and Scott not meet each other before this? <laughs> but uh I wasn't on Twitter until this podcast man, yeah. is the answer so that's true um but you know and when I found your podcast you were probably I don't know I mean you it was during Game of Thrones, I know. I don't know when I started yeah. interacting with you guys. It probably was towards the end of you guys doing a Game of Thrones. Or like, would I even yeah, comment? it's been a long time. Uh, so. But like, not really active for a little while after that, I'd say. Um, when I, for sure. You know, when you get to actually, it's, it's weird to say, I've got to know all these people online. You know what I mean? I, it's a new, a weird experience, but mm -hmm. it's not that new because it's been years now. You know what I mean? But I, right. I made, yeah, I made friends with people. I think are going to probably be lifelong friends from, you know, this fandom. It's it's nearly daily that totally. I start a story to Aon that start that starts something like this person I know from the fandom or this this friend of mine from Ice and Fire Con or something like that, and then I you know launch into a story. Yeah, it's become just a huge part of my interactions in general. Yeah. Even more so like, with the pandemic. Right. I was like, babe, guess what? Grant had his baby. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, she's like, who now? Who? Who? Oh, you know, yeah. Heathen King? You know, Grant. <laughs> yeah. That guy, the writer, my friend. I, I showed, I showed Eowyn a, the, the video of of the Piercy baby, uh, the one where he's just like looking around, looking around. I, I'm uh -huh. commented that he looks wary, and I showed it to to Aowen, and, and I'm like, this this baby's adorable, and she's like, you hate babies. I'm like, I think most babies are ugly and look like aliens. You're right. This baby is an exception. Look at how aware <laughs> of how scary the world is that he is. Look at this. Yep, yep. Ah, the exact opposite of me, man. I love babies. <laughs> I don't hate well, babies. I just think that they look like aliens. <laughs> and I, I, okay, I don't Alan think that's Grant. an. I don't think it's an insult. I just think that's the way it is, and people should be honest about yeah. it. Well, when they're brand new, they definitely look like aliens. They definitely sure. grow into a certain cuteness factor. Yes. But Grant's baby just started out pretty cute. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking about. Uh, we were making that decision of who to send Christmas cards to this year, and like. I was she's she's like we're gonna send Christmas cards to your online friends. <laughs> uh, by the way, Chase, I need to get your address. Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, and I'm like, 
well, yeah. She's like, really? <laughs> These people, I would much rather send a Christmas card to Chase than I would, like, my cousin, <laughs> who I never talked to. Like, See, These are family. This is family to me, man. Right. And but. we talked about the same thing, and I think you're just a better person than me, Matt. I was just too lazy to go get all the, all the information. <laughs> but when asked me, she's like, do you want to send to your friends, you know, in, in, in the fandom? I'm like, ah, that'd be cool. No, <laughs> it's just a lot of work. That's a lot. Sorry, of work. guys, you don't get to see see my family. No. Yeah, just say you know, happy happy Christmas on Twitter, and yeah. everybody get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just post post a picture of our Christmas card on Twitter. Yeah, that I might do. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you got an unproven theory you like best, Chase? Oh, oh does he? Um, oh, where was it? Oh yeah, um, is Azor high? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean that's proven. It's not even a, yeah, it's everybody. Not a theory. Everybody it's knows proven. that. Um, but no, I mean honestly, the I think the Fagon is a black fire. That's me back to the black fires again. You know, mm. that uh, uh, like I said, all things black fire all the time. You and Pat. What up, Pat? What up, Pat? What up, Patrick? Yep. <laughs> Uh, another good buddy you know what i mean he's cool he is <laughs> so cool so fagon's a black fire yep yep love it what about uh your favorite house sworn to the starks um i thought about this a lot and i almost went uh cassell just because they all mm. <laughs> you know beefed it for the starks but it's <laughs> a lot of that going around yeah yeah but I mean, I think House Mormont, they, the, the thing I like about them is they're everywhere you want to be. You know, they're they're mm. there in the north, like just this amazing group of, of women who are bad asses. Yeah, uh, they're at the wall. Uh, they're in Essos with Danny from the start. You know what I mean? House Mormont. Like even if, you know, Jorah's a, a knob, but... He's still there. That you know what I mean. There's a Mormont. No, there's a Mormont where, in most of the places you want to be. <laughs> yeah, you've got Alisan with um, with Stannis right now. Daisy was with Rob. Yeah, they're kind of yeah. just all over. They're also they're just kind of a they're a more unique house than a lot of them. You know, like they're just they're out there on an island all by themselves. They got the whole bear kind of mythology thing going on and they're just kind of unique aren't they well so do you think they're like like the alaska well do you think that they (laughs) are wargs do they have like a bear warg situation like the starks have the dire wolves i tend to think they just play into that for fun (laughs) and they laugh behind everyone's backs (laughs) but it would kind of like kind of like wyman being the jolly fat guy right yeah. yeah, except he actually is a jolly fat guy. But he's, there's more to him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's just one layer of the onion, as we'll probably talk about in a minute. <laughs> Indeed. One thing that, uh, Chase, you've we're in debt to you for, you've done very well at, is chronicling all of our Monty Python references. Uh, I, actually, I probably should apologize for that. Because it's like, oh, because it's, I don't want, because I feel like 
has it become self-aware? Do you guys <laughs> do you guys censor yourself because you know I'm you know because I'm tallying it? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think I'm just running out of bits that I have. Yeah, <laughs> so many. I'm I'm wary of trying to of, of not overusing things because I tend to tell the same stories over and over again. Uh, so I'm trying not to use the same references. I, th- I feel like all of our references to outside materials have slowed down just because we're out of material. We need to go watch a bunch more movies, Matt. Something. Yeah, we're creatures of habit. We just watch the same thing over yeah. and over well, again. Well, it, it was, you know, that was really just one of those things that it was that made you guys feel like friends long before we ever interacted. Because um, oh, cool. there's just a few other things you know, certain fandoms that you or things that you guys lo- really love that I do too. Um, you know, like Kevin Smith movies. It, I was going to say you're a Kevin Smith fan like us. Yeah, and, man. and Monty Python, like the Holy grail is one of it's you know, it's in my top five movies probably ever. And I, I mean, it's probably, <laughs> it's not a great movie. It's just so it funny. Be, it's okay. so funny. Yep. It, gets me every time um and people just don't understand people just don't understand well okay uh, doesn't understand she does not get it yep. yeah I no, think there are a lot of people that do not get it and yeah my wife fine. refuses british comedy she doesn't watch it just in general yeah i gotta say i'm not usually a huge fan but i love python but well so what uh what everyone give us your favorite monty python bit it doesn't have to be Holy Grail, <laughs> Holy but it probably is. Scene of any well, I, I love any depth. I love the dead bird sketch, uh, the dead parrot, uh, Norwegian blues stun easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, <laughs> I, I love the uh, the I'm here for an argument sketch. I love the philos- the philosophers playing soccer sketch. Uh, there's so much. There's so much good stuff, and then of course, just the movie itself, the, the Holy Grail movie, is just creme de la creme. I think the. I don't know any of those, Scott. I don't. You don't know the dead oh, parrot I'm, I'm, sketch. You've, dead parrot I'm purely. Is. I'm purely Holy Grail. That's oh, do, all I've ever. I'm bearing my. We'll put inadequacy. Monty Python but, on your Netflix list. <laughs> because for my because the flying circus is watch. all on there so yeah <laughs> it is yep and tragically i have watched only the holy grail um it's worth it i've watched a bit of the life of brian but i think my favorite bit is uh the dennis the dennis bit mm-hmm. not yep. from some farcial aquatic ceremony <laughs> look if i went around saying i was an emperor <laughs> yeah that's really good i didn't know you were called dennis you didn't bother to find out did you it's because some moistened blocked a scimitar at me. Yeah. Well, plus, you know, I, I, I really dig that guy's whole uh, political philosophy. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. A That's mandate true. from the masses. Yeah. Yep. That's what he wants. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, mine. Chase. I, uh, holy hand grenade. Yeah. That, that one gets me every time just talking about, you know. Just the big long because you know I was raised Catholic, so oh, yeah. that is stuff I can relate to. I went to a lot of parochial schools, so I had you know mass on Friday and on Sunday. So 
reading in Latin and stuff like I that the makes me the laugh. attention to detail on wow. bringing out the pomp and circumstance for the holy hand grenade mm. is uh, is a nice touch. five is right out <laughs> five is right out it's so five good. three sir three <laughs> anyone yeah. that doesn't know Monty Python is bored stick I know right? sorry y'all yeah. I'm sorry but thank you All for right. letting me talk to you guys about it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is a, a big I, moment for us. Yes, it's great. <laughs> it's very cathartic. <laughs> uh, ask the fingers. Let's move on. Yeah. What book, movie, media was foundational for your development? This comes from Katrina. You want to go first? Yeah, I think yeah. you haven't gone first yet. So I haven't. Mine is uh, mine is X Men the Animated Series. Uh, nice. Introduced me to comics. Um, I had, of course watched cartoons before that. Um, and had some favorites, but X Men the Animated Series was kind of the first thing that I really latched onto. That like I didn't ever miss an episode. Saturday mornings I was there when it didn't come on for some reason because I'm not an adult with the internet and couldn't look up when episodes were coming on. Um, I was upset. Um, it was it was yeah it cha- changed things for me. It changed my relationship with my sister. Um, mm. Gave us something we were always close growing up, but it gave us something to really bond over and, and that we shared and still share to some degree, um, you know, throughout our lives. And yeah, it, it definitely, it, it, it introduced me to fantasy and superpowers and, and all that kind of thing. Um, to some degree before I discovered other types of fantasy, like, um, Weiss and Hickman of the Dragonlance stuff and Tolkien. And, and then of course this stuff, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was kind of my gateway to the realms of fantastical, I think, in the early 90s. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Where are you, Chase? Well, mine would... Oh, I caught you mid-inhale. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, the I was probably 13 or 14... Uh, when my cousin gave me a copy of The Gunslinger by Stephen King. Mm. And, hmm. um, I mean, which is just a great sort of Western sort of fantasy adventure book. But the end of that book sort of changed my worldview, like uh, my how I perceive the universe and my place in it. Because wow. it just... It, wow, that's big. It and like I feel existential, like I should go read man. It now. Well, yeah, it, no, it just. I mean, it, it's. It, I've read it, you know, so many oh, times. It's one of my favorite novels. Uh, but the ending kind of seems simplistic to me now. But back then, it blew my mind. It's all about right. size and. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's kind it of like the end. Friend. The end of <laughs> the end of um, Men in Black, where. You know, there's a galaxy inside of this marble. Uh, the yep. um, the analogy made in the novel is about uh, like an atom on a blade of grass that is an mm-hmm. entire universe into itself. And it really got me thinking, like I said, about the universe and my place and how really small and insignificant I actually am. Uh, barely part of it at all. Uh, so... Which is a load off, kind of. <laughs> you don't you know what you. Some ha- people don't like that. Yeah. You <laughs> don't case, have. Like, we don't oh, have goodness. responsibility to 
anything really because you, our time is so small and fleeting compared to compared to the universe itself it's infinite and long mm. and we're little i don't so have to worry three, about the much. three body problem the three body problem it's I, intense uh it's going on my list sir all right so uh i tried to dig a little bit on this one everyone knows i love star wars everyone knows that music is is my life um, so I tried to dig something for something a little deeper, and uh, it hit me. Um, a book that was foundational to my development was The Outsiders mm. by S.E. Hinton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The classic book. It was, you know, as I trace my love, which is for really human characters. I love finding the humanity, not just in characters, but in entire situations. I've talked about it too much on this podcast, but I love finding the humanity in things. And Chase, like you said, the ending to The Gunslinger seems simplistic. As I read The Outsiders now as an adult, it seems a little simplistic. But for, I was probably, you know, how old are you when you read The Outsiders? Maybe 12 years old? Or, or when I read that pro- the roughly time. the same age as S.E. Hinton when she wrote it. When she, yeah, she was a teenager, right? Yeah. Well, I'm from Tulsa. That's where, I mean, she's, she was from Owasso, Oklahoma, which is the place that oh my I lived when I was born. Like the outsiders is set here. It was filmed. The movie was filmed no here. No way. No way. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Like that, the drive-in that's, that's the drive-in I went to growing up. Did you ever get in street fights with the Soshas? Uh, yeah, it was a little more sharks and jets for us. Uh, a lot more snapping and <laughs> <laughs> tapping, you know. But and random music. But I mean, it's it is still to this day a very segregated city. Mm. There's lines mm-hmm. down it. You know, there's. I mean, back then it was more of an east side west side thing. Now it's more of a north side south side, and you know the. Um, uh, you know, it's been uh, way more in like the public knowledge about uh, about the massacre uh, in Tulsa, sure. and that you can still see that line today. And wow. and but I'm sorry, I, you, please no, you talk cool, about Essie Hinton. Cool this is about your You've got that context, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> this is about I'm your change, or, yeah, how this affected you, not me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool, man. Um, but that was the first time that. I really got to see, I feel like I got to see humanity um, on the page more than just good guys versus bad guys, Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. You know, these were kids just trying to make it in a world that had dealt them bad hands, you know, Um, Soda Pop and, uh, oh gosh, Big Brother's name just completely left me. Patrick Swayze. Derry. Gosh. Daryl. Daryl. Yep. Derry. And uh, Pony Boy, and you had Two Bit. I loved Two Bit, but he was like, he was, uh, he was like a klepto, you know, mm-hmm. like these guys that you love, and they're super endearing to you, but they have these flaws too. Which to me, that's just normal humans now. But as a twelve-year-old kid who was so focused on good guys versus bad guys, especially growing up in a really religious conservative household like I did, it was it was so interesting to me to to grapple with that in my young mind and come to terms with it and come to accept it that people can do quote-unquote wrong things and still be really good people and uh you know as far as pony boy smoking cigarettes oh my gosh what kid's smoking you can't you're not supposed to smoke cigarettes you know and so that was 
that was super influential to me now that I look back on it and just helping me recognize humanity and see how beautiful it can be, even in the uh, not conventionally beautiful scenarios. So the outsiders love it. And I can read it in like an hour. Right. So <laughs> it is, it is a short read. Go check it out. It's a, it's a good one. The movie also fantastic and a great movie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and now thanks to this discussion, I've got just chase dancing around on rooftops and grabbing, <laughs> grabbing window escapes. Uh, <laughs> Swinging down fire boy, escapes. Boy, and, yeah. crazy boy. Yeah, I was pretty lithe as a younger man. <laughs> he was, uh, he was, uh, no, I'm not going to compare you to Illyrio because you're not at that point. <laughs> no, yet, no, no, no. Oh, no. No, thank you. <laughs> I guess you did actually say it, so. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> Well, let's let's move that that compliment dumpster fire uh, into the rearview mirror and move on to an a- analyzing the second half of this chapter. Uh, oh man, so much so much going on here. I mean, okay, deep dive time, right? Deep dive time, I guess. Um, so I, I, let's just start at the top. I mean, eyes literally everywhere on Manderley, right? Um, it's it's kind of King's Landing on a smaller scale. Um, yeah, this guy's it's paying better, for I guess people. a little bit because he knows just not to trust anyone. Basically, um, he's kind of he's playing. He's he's got this bit now. He's playing the the port the the game of porcelain thrones uh, <laughs> here, um, kind of to to set up to to set up this opportunity. Is is he? Uh, is, has he been taking these long shits his whole life, or is this something that he just started doing in the last month to set this game up? Well, he does say that everyone in White Harbor knows about his his yeah. bowels, right? Yeah. But I think he's I think he's used it as an excuse for a while. It's his way to get things done. It's all part of his persona. He's built up this persona around him in order to be able to get things done. It's his Danny, but I'm just a young girl. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. is. It is. Well, you yeah. can't expect me to do that. I'm fat. <laughs> It right? takes a while, guys. I only have 20 hours in my day because four hours are sent, spent on the shitter. I can't do that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. He sets yep. himself up to be weak. And, and then, funnily, he, he, he seems to take offense to it. <laughs> He's like, they must think me a coward because I'm fat. <laughs> Weird. It's like, dude, you play into that. That's, <laughs> That's your, your whole, whole stick, stick buddy. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and this guy is constantly eating pie, though. Uh, like savory pies nonstop all the time. <laughs> Like it's just weird fish and butter for this dude. So yeah, yeah it, he's got bad bowels. If all you're eating is what is even a lamprey? <laughs> <laughs> what is a lamprey? Uh, it's... Isn't it some type of bird? No, 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 it's, it can't be. It's, it's a it's a sea creature. It's like a oh yeah oh I just looked it up. They're gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of kind of eel fish like, isn't it? It's like an eel, yeah. Oh. Um, go ahead. No, I'm just looking at the picture. Oh no, he was making uh, he was making Misa's gag noise. (laughs) I wish you could all seen the picture because like the the noise was just like thirty percent of the entire reaction. The rest was her face. It was an experience. Um, It was. Uh, Do you think that he? (laughs) Do you think he maintains the weight? 
to in order to to maintain the persona like could the guy go on a diet and get back to his horse riding ways but he knows that he's got to maintain this in order to keep getting the things done on the side that he's doing well i don't know what how big do you have to be before they cut you off horses before they're like nah not not my horse horse days are done pal it's a good question matt and i think perhaps there was a time when he you know if this if this shtick and this personality and this game of setting up these expectations i I talk about it actually at length using a a reference to shakespeare in our previous episode and i won't do that again because it was long and drawn out and terrible and (laughs) it was not terrible i think matt was sighing in the background but uh sighing in ecstasy (laughs) that's right but uh i think maybe it was part of his shtick early but you know I don't mean to come down on you, Matt, but I think people that don't have weight problems make it seem really easy to just lose weight. And mm, I didn't. I didn't mean to. I know you that. didn't. I know you didn't mean to. Uh, I know you didn't mean to. I, I shouldn't have put it that way. I just think it's it's probably not something he could just choose to do now. Sure. Yeah. I, not, like not you, at this point. At, at some point, you get as big as him. You know, you can cut back on what you eat, but it's hard to do. You've got so many so many patterns of behaviors that you have to just change your entire mindset. And it can be done obviously, but it's very hard. And you, it's not like you can expedite the process by exercising. There's very little a guy like this can do to, to really, to really get better at speed. And I don't mm-hmm. mean to make excuses for people like myself, but it's, it's a hard thing to, to just do. And you can't just turn around and do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Imagine and, we're sugar's real addictive. This, this thing, this shtick that he's built up, also gives him a very handy excuse not to so it it's a psychological thing too it's like ah, i could but i got this thing going and i kind of need it now because people expect it and it's how i get things done and how i operate so i better not now well yeah they right? they so talk about an, it an excuse not to so they talk about it long before you meet him you know what i mean they he's mentioned as lord too fat to sit a horse way before you ever mm-hmm. see him you know yeah and they and i mean they you meet his kids who are big fellows. <laughs> they are. You know. Yeah. And, and that's yeah, it runs in the family. If you want to talk about it beyond, you know, the, the shtick and, you know, the strategy, he's actually created, um, a living environment that he's hurt his two children by setting this lifestyle up for them. And they're afflicted with it too. And again, I say afflicted with it, you know, there's a lot of research out there that it is somewhat genetic, but, um, you know, they, they think this is normal behavior. And so they behave the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, I meant that as kind of a lighthearted comment and it got serious really quick. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I apologize. It's, it's a sensitive thing that I maybe shouldn't be lighthearted about. Um, but I was, it's hard not to be to, the way Mandalay himself to, treats it, right? But to then be, but then then be, bring it back to lighthearted. I was just watching an interview on a Conan, old Conan interview with Rob McElhenney from uh, It's Always Sunny, and there's that whole arc. You're an always sunny guy, aren't you, Chase? Oh yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Where he got, he gained a ton of weight for a season and got super big, and then. Like within a year or two, he got super cut, right? And was like Paul Rudd and Ant Man cut, and uh, 
he said to gain that weight, he said the first 20 pounds are really easy, but then after that, it actually got difficult to gain that much weight for him. He had to, he said that his eating, his habit every day was his assistant would bring in a gallon of ice cream in the morning and he would, it gets worse. He would leave that out all day until it melted and then he would force himself to drink the entire gallon every day. Okay, now I'm going to oh. do it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible. Every day he would drink a gallon of melted ice cream. So his problem. And then to your point about how you can just exercise and lose the weight, he said that if he, he admitted that if he didn't have the resources that he had in terms of that money can buy, quote unquote, because of his celebrity, and the trainers and the meal plans and everything, nutritionists and everything, there's no way he thinks he could have come back to get where he was. At least not that quickly. And if you don't see results, a lot of people give up. up. Yep. I don't mean to make it a serious thing. I I shouldn't have taken it there really. But um, anyway. Anyway. Um, Not where I was expecting to go. (laughs) So, okay. So can I just ask uh, just a blunt question? I think the answer is obvious, but I just want to put it out there. Uh, chilling end of the, the speech there he says the north remembers what exactly do they remember remembers what yep. <sighs> I mean their duty that's, I mean that's clearly what the Mandalays are about right they are they remember the oath they made to the Starks at least so that's personally for them the north remembers I mean maybe the Stark words are there just to help the north remember winter is coming you know? mm-hmm. it has come before and it will come again yeah and and on that to build off it a little bit i think it comes down to the north remembers what the starks have done for us over the centuries and millennia right that it's yeah they have their own unique brand of justice and they'll come and chop your head off for malfeasance and everything but when winter comes the starks take care of you you know, evidenced by the whole winter town. You think of those gardens that you have within Winterfell. Those probably go to feeding people a lot during those long winters. You can grow things in those greenhouse gardens that they have set up. Like the Starks have taken care of you and they will continue to take care of you. And we remember that. And so we honor the Starks and we are willing to fight for the Starks because they've fought for us before. Well, heck, uh, Bartimus says that his perhaps his very own ancestors are the ones who strung the entrails in the trees and it was the you know the starks of winterfell that came in and And saved those slaves yep in the middle of a very cold winter winter, yeah they waited for the the journey from winterfell (laughs) they waited for the winter and they got them yep great great answers uh great answers so i also think the north remembers the mistreatment though too they remember what Ramsay did to Lady Hornwood. They remember what happened at uh, Barrowton. Mm-hmm. Oh. They, remember, the... they remember the Red Wedding. They remember what Ramsay does with these girls mm-hmm. that he releases out into the woods. They remember they what remember. Arya Stark looks yeah. like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, okay, so, so good. Uh, thanks for taking the, the bait. Uh, so what's everyone waiting for then? Like if they all remember and they all know this stuff, like why why isn't anyone doing anything? 
Because no one has a Stark in hand, maybe? Yeah. Because they're just so used to waiting for the Starks to yeah. lead. Because... <laughs> well, this is usually where they come in and tell us what to do. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're waiting on uh, one of the sons of Eddard Stark to show up. Or maybe one of the do- real daughters of Eddard Stark to show up. Yeah. But to add some seriousness to it, I think it is kind of along those lines of it's jarring at first and it takes a little bit to wrap your head around the fact that the Starks have been leading us forever and they're not here anymore. It's kind of like it's uh, it's kind of like when you see a spider in your house and it takes you a minute to realize like, oh, wait. I'm the dad. I have I have to kill that spider. You know? <laughs> My dad isn't here to kill the spider now. I've got to do it. Oh crap! And then you have to summon the courage to grab the shoe or whatever. And oh, just me? Okay. No, um, I can kind of relate to this actually. Yeah. <laughs> or if you see the snake in the backyard and you're like, oh well, there's a snake. Ah. I, uh, oh I've... wait, I've got to get rid of that snake embarrassingly uh as long as i have the shoe in my hand i'm not afraid of spiders at all but if i don't have the shoe i'm terrified well like if i see and then you like have across... to keep an eye on them yes. as you go looking for an item to hit them with yeah yeah, yeah if sure. i if i see them creeping across the floor here's the creepiest thing about spiders i, I don't hear people say this a lot the creepiest thing about spiders is when you do notice them and you look at them and they stop they, they, know. they know you. They know they notice you. No. And they're like, oh, freeze. Like, they shouldn't be smart enough to know that I'm looking at them. But, like, just by tilting my head, even like you can't see Kalisar that's listening, but I'm tilting my head just slightly to the side. They should be able to detect when I move my head two degrees that I now notice him. And they do. And it's scary. The spidey sense. I never man. thought about that, but you're, you're totally right. They're. they're twice as terrifying as I thought they were before. You're <laughs> welcome. <a> <laughs> when, I, when, I was a, but, uh, when I was a kid... Where, where, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, sorry, Chase. I was, when I was a Go. kid, uh, my little brother broke his arm and had a full arm cast from shoulder to wrist. Oof. And uh-huh. one day he woke up screaming and crying in pain. And my mother saw it was swollen. So they took him to the doctor. They cut it off. And his oh. arm immediately swelled up. Uh, this huge lump on his arm. A, uh, a brown recluse had crawled into his cast, bit him, <sighs> and he started swelling. And it crushed the spider inside of the cast. So they knew what had happened right away. And so, I mean, he was probably four and I was six. And, like, watching the, the thing raise up on his arm like that. That did it for me. Spiders are the worst. That stays with you. Yeah, man. They oh, messed me up. Man. And now I know they're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> and they know you're looking at them. Yeah, man. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, they're tracking our every movement, man. They're just waiting. They're just waiting. Shout out to Biggest Hounds. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, well, we were talking about why the North is, uh, why they're North are hesitating. I think it's taken a minute for them. And plus you've got so many dead now. The Carowinds are, are gone. Umbers are captured. The Boltons are gone, right? It it takes a minute to regroup and start communicating and start thinking about these things. Yeah. I I, I started going, going down uh, that rabbit hole a little bit. And mm-hmm. 
I want to I want to give credit to the thing that I was I was on for hours last night. Um, it was by Zinc Pekalili. Uh, it's a it's a it's a Tumblr. Um, Yeeds Yeeds bookmark. I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's like eight sections that that deals with the Grand Northern conspiracy. The North, yeah, yeah. And one of the things that that is mentioned by this person, actually, I don't know whether it's a man or woman or or other. Uh, but um, but one thing that's that's relayed is that not all the people have all the pieces of information, right? Not all of them know what Wyman knows about the Stark sons surviving. The clansmen, the, the clansmen, the mountain clans know that too. Um, but and you know not all of them know about the letter supposedly that makes John the heir. So there's there's actually some very real logistical reasons why they're not acting in concert, and it's because they don't all share the same information. They don't have cell phones. Wyman's not, right. you know, calling Lady Dustin, right? They've got to wait until they. It, it's actually somewhat convenient and a bit of a folly, maybe, that Roos makes everyone come to Winterfell because it brings all of these people to one place yeah. where you can be like, you know this, well, I know this. Now we can conspire that. together. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I sometimes think that's part of the reason. I mean, Wyman had to go uh, yes. to stay in Roos's good graces, but I think he saw that as an opportunity to schedule some meetings in conference room B, you know? Conference room B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I think in those, in those, um, that app series on the Grand Northern Conspiracy, the writer refers to it as playing telephone, right? They're relaying messages yeah. to each other. And, you know, what did Robert know that he brought to Wyman that Wyman can then pass on to others in the North who hadn't heard that yet? There's so much that can be shared. And right. you're right, them all being at Winterfell together gives them the perfect opportunity to do it. I want to talk a little bit about Wyman, as you guys know, I probably do. Um, <laughs> Another reason I chose this. <laughs> uh, I know I'm so biased yeah, toward him. It's about uh, time we started talking about Wyman. Well, no, literally in a, in the uh, Scad and I are in uh, the not a cast. Uh, well, I mean, it's not. It's called what is it? Uh, what's the fantasy? Not a league or something like that. Uh, oh yeah, the the not a cast. Uh, yeah, not not a league. Fantasy, not a fantasy football. And league. his 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 team name is Manderley's Forever. <laughs> That's my team name. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting waxed in that league. I'm like, anyway. Uh, so th- this is a, this is a little bit of an original thought from from my perspective. I'm sure somebody somewhere has had it, but I think part of this, and and it, it I got there by realizing how old he was because I always thought he was younger than this for some reason, but I think. He's ready to move on. I think he's ready, ready to 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 go to kick the bucket. He has his air back. He's planning this revenge. Um, he he has the part of this chapter. He says his body is a prison more cruel than the wolf's den. Right. Yeah. He he laments as we talked about before his time in the lists, and now that he's you know too fat to sit a horse, and that time's over. Kind of, it reminds me a little bit of, of the old the old mountain the old men in the mountain clans, right? That, that walk out into the blizzard to save a mountain. Exactly. Yeah, he's, and winter is winter is coming, right? So he's preparing to be that guy. Yep, yes. I agree. He's preparing to set the north up to to not just remember but act. 
and I, I fully think that he's putting himself at the forefront of this rebellion. He's going to end up dead um, well, as part of this thing and is fine with it. Well, he's I, okay with I it. I mean, skipping he's ahead. To do all these things because of that and also probably only willing to uh, promise his fealty because he's planning to end up dead. And Willis doesn't have to honor that promise. Well, you know, spoiler for a Dion chapter later, you think yes, Wyman exactly what I was survives mm-hmm. the the slice to his neck? Mm-hmm. His chins. It's a weird yeah, prediction for the, wins a winner. The, <laughs> the the fact that he was the fact that he just went right out and said those things, he knew it was gonna that was going to happen. Also, wh- he knew one hundred percent. And he might have been prepared to go right then. He might have been surprised as anyone that he ended up alive from that. Well, it's a quip to go out on. If he'd have grown yeah, up, he'd sure. have been afraid. What is the, like, what is the quip, Chase? It, you know, it's a, he's, he's talking about what Big Walder, uh, Little, Little Walder, Walder, the, the yeah. dead one. You know, oh, yes. if, had, he, had he lived, he'd have grown yes. to be afraid or whatever. Oh, that's savage. <laughs> and you, won- you wonder if if even the the scene before that, when he doesn't get his neck sliced open when he's making them sing the rat cook and drunk is all hell and you know raising a ruckus if he meant that for to be the night he's like they didn't bite weird i guess i gotta do something worse (laughs) okay let's dig deep let's let's go for something more let's see how far i can push this (laughs) rolls his sleeves up (laughs) rolls his sleeves up unbuttons his collar and makes light of a dead kid that'll do it yeah <laughs> that'll do it and it didn't it didn't he's like damn still around hmm. but I mean, I might, part uh, of it too like he's willing to break the I mean, it's not technically breaking the guest right he's waiting until they leave but he's premeditating murdering his guests after giving them their their gift like it's, he's, yep. it's letter of the law flawed. not spirit that, right yeah. yeah that's the whole reason he's giving them the gift is because then he's free to kill him yeah right but in the spirit of the rule you shouldn't be premeditating yep. someone's <laughs> death before giving them their guest their guest right gift, right? So yeah. he's I I think this is all in front of him. He's he's willing to go. He's ready. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. One of the things that I brought up uh, back when we covered this chapter the first time, um, I agree, and I, and you made some stronger points that makes me agree with you even more that he was. Uh, He's ready to go <clears throat> with you on that. Uh, the point that I was making in, the previous time we recorded this was I wasn't quite as on board back then. Oh, we were sweet summer children. Uh, <laughs> and I said, what does Manderly want out of this? Yeah. He's got to want something out of this. I still kind of think he does, but uh, I think it might be more for, I think it might be more for his family than for him specifically. I think he does want something out of this. Well, yeah, um, he's got ins- I, another another amazing display of like fatherhood or it like the way he like he's willing to do just about any dang thing in the world for his kids and for his grandchildren and the pride mm-hmm. he shows in his granddaughters. Uh, right. Yeah, it, I beam with pride reading it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you can feel that. And for different reasons, he's so proud of Winifred, mm-hmm. the older granddaughter, for sticking and playing her part so well. She knew about the, uh, she she knows about the North Remember and the Mummer's Farce. And then Willa, who didn't know, 
for being all belligerent. He's so proud of her for that too. And I love that about him. He does feel loyalty to the Stark. I think he feels intense loyalty to the Starks. Um, but I also think he recognizes, just like Davos is trying to set up a better life for his kids, he he knows that the Boltons are going to eat the North down to nothing. They're going to be Scar in the Lion King, right? Uh, Pride Rock is going to be a ruin. And, um, ju- and that's what the North is going to be like under Bolton rule. So he's got to get the Boltons out there. I wonder if he's still, you know angling for something for his family in return one thing i was thinking is that uh willa is the same age as Jon snow if that ends up she ends up getting if Jon snow ends up leaving the night's watch maybe he angles for you know we did this for you starks uh john what do you think of my granddaughter type thing setting that up and aligning house manderley and house stark if john ends up being legitimized but um I still think there might be something that he wants out of this, uh, but it's it's not greedy, you know. Well, I don't remember if you guys talked about it the in the last time you covered this chapter, but does he? I mean, I guess do, we're, we're assuming he knows about the will, about Rob's will, because because he's there with Robert Glover. Well, we don't know. Yeah. So Robert yeah. Robert was taken captive. Just a quick history lesson for everybody. Robert was taken captive when Roos commanded Robert and several others, uh, Helmand Tallhart, I think, uh, to go to Duskendale. And they lose that battle and get taken captive, and then robbed as a prisoner transfer. But Robert doesn't join back up with with Stark. Uh, He gets put on a boat and sent directly to White Harbor. Now, in that time somewhere, um, you have Lady Stoneheart, and you have her uncovering, you have John actually writing a letter and naming an heir, uh, which presumably Galbert would have, well, not presumably, we know he knows about it because he was going to be one of the people to go up through the neck. You know, theoretically, one, one of the things that, that Yeed uh, on, on the, on the uh, it's Y-E-A-D-E, uh, if you want to Google that, you can go find all of that coverage. But one of the things they say is that, you know, we, we know that, that House Mormont found out somehow and presumably it must have been a raven or something. Well, okay, Galbert could have sent a raven, assuming Robert was going to land at White Harbor, could have sent one there, and Wyman does know. But we don't know that for sure. It's possible he doesn't know, and he doesn't really even find out about the will until later, until until Willis gets back or, um, you know, something like that. So, um, so you know, I, I don't know that he knew it the whole time, but I think he knows it now. Um, yeah, so did when, did Willis when witness this taking place because Willis is back and he would know, right? Yeah, right. He he witnessed the he would have been one of the lords witnessing the the will. Well, actually, like no, he would have been taken captive. He wasn't. He wasn't one of the lords. Yeah. I mean, he was cat. He was. He would. I, yeah, I don't yeah, even he, remember now. Yeah, he, you're right. You know, he wouldn't know. So I'm not sure if Wyman does know. Um, and and he does. Go Willis could have found out though, too. So there's, yeah. He could have found out. Uh, they could have sent a letter. Also, though, we know that the ravens uh, are being received probably by Theomore. And so maybe it wouldn't have gotten through. <laughs> so there's that that component also. But if that were true, and he really is informing the phrase, then the phrase would know, would know right. that this whole thing is happening. So it's a, it's pr- it's a pretty dicey kind of, kind of maze. Um, I yeah, think we don't know. S- 
Yeah, then Cersei could potentially know if Theomor, if there's that connection there. And we know from Cersei's chapters that she's she had the wool completely pulled over her head. Right. She talks about Vanderly in one chapter in particular where she's totally bought into him willing to do whatever in order to get Willis freed. And right. she has no idea what's going on. Well, so my that, Cersei, that... no idea what's going on? No. I think talking through it, my sense is that Robin and Wyman do not know. So it's kind of like hmm. um, you were saying before. They're, they have a similar goal, but their goal isn't perhaps a legitimized John Stark. They're looking for a Rick on Stark. <laughs> yeah, I, I think his request to Davos is real. Because if, if he does know about the letter, then why is he bothering with Rickon, right? Unless it's, I don't, I don't know, to... I think Eve makes this point too to to draw attention away from John at the wall or something. But yeah, oh, here's something I never thought of. I'm so, I'm sorry to. Uh, I just want to say this before I forget. Go, if he go, go. he's making this plan ahead to send Davos to look for Rickon, he knows Bran is alive too. Is he? I mean, he knows they went a different direction, vaguely north, right? <laughs> at least. Does he have this entire plan set up with somebody else he can send north with some wildling captive that he can make a deal with or who you know who knows what does he have does he have an agent we don't know about heading to find Bran <laughs> going after every single start kid and, and remember that he doesn't know that the little uh, with the acorn uh, symbol that that fed with that ate with Bran and, and that troop he doesn't know what they know right, right? that the Bran made it pretty far north. And that they sent him on his way safely, and um, you know, so so maybe he's he's trying to get to, to Winterfell and see what everybody else kind of knows. Huh. Um, but there's there's that whole part where they're talking really really harshly about Ramsay Snow and being a bastard. Yeah, has there That's ever been a Snow so black? Bring up that seems like obvious references to John. Like, right? It's weird that they'd be down talking him so much, though, right? Do you have an explanation yeah. for that? They say the evil is in his blood. He's a bastard born of rape, a snow, no matter what the boy says. Wyman then says, was ever snow so black? Jon Snow, Crow. Um, the Boltons have always been as cruel as they were cunning, but this one seems a beast in human skin. Either George is being meta with us to try to make us think of Jon Snow, or Robert and Wyman are... <sighs> it's It's puzzling to me because... Davos isn't going to pick up on those clues and they're talking so forthright. Why are they being coy with him saying stuff about Jon Snow here? But what would um, the clues even mean hints, if he did pick them up? Right. What like, would they even be trying are, to say? Him, say because them. they're talking so bad. I think the point is made elsewhere in this, in these, in some of these other writings by other fans that they might be trying to misdirect Davos from Jon a little bit and think we're not onto the bastard. We don't, we don't, we don't, side with bastards we don't do that whole thing um right. when really they are pushing to get john uh yeah it it very yeah. much seems that way and, and again uh, i should just we should just invite a yeet on here to talk about it i guess i'm quoting this so much but uh they talk about too that that robert and galbert have uh lawrence snow who's who is the hornwood bastard um and they at, like him at would want they love him they think he's great so it's weird to hear Robert lay into bastards generally, knowing how he feels about that kid. So, mm -hmm. 
You're right. It, but again, it does speak to misdirection of some kind. But but why would they even have to do that? Like Davos has never even met Jon Snow, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> seems Only, weird. But... Uh, yeah, don't know. It it seems weird. But... Well, yeah, maybe it's mm. just literally for us. You know, yeah, just exposition I mean for the reader. Right? Is it George just saying stuff to us? Like the heart tree growing big and everything is, are they just, is he just sending a message to us? Are they wanting to get Rickon just to have a, maybe are they angling for Jon Snow, but want Rickon as the heir? No. Um, I don't know. Yeah. They make the point in that we keep quoting this Grand Northern Conspiracy, but it's a very popular theory. So yes. it's going to come up into this. They make the point that uh, Wyman never explicitly states Rickon's name. It's yeah. just implied. Bring me back, smuggle me back, my liege lord, and I will take Stannis Baratheon as my king. Who, if he knows about the letter, would be John, right? And not Rickon, right? And if so, he knows Bran is still alive, it would actually be Bran. So, well, unless the letter is legitimate. If the letter right. legitimizes John and makes him the heir, then John is the heir. Yeah, and then Bran second, and right. Rickon is still at the in on the bottom rung. Right. But either way, they want the the point is they want to start. My, the very first note I made when I was doing the second part or analyzing the second part of this chapter was "fuck them phrase." <laughs> and I mean that always applies, you know. And and it, them and the Boltons, they are not into it. I mean, they clearly have animosity. I mean, isn't Wyman related to? Uh, Lady Hornwood. Like, yeah, they're cousins. Cousins. Yeah. I mean, I take that pretty personally. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And and uh, the the Hornwood lands are kind of between Winterfell and White Harbor, right? And so as Bolton encroaches upon those Hornwood lands, he's moving closer to White Harbor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the Hornwood lands are right in between White Harbor and and the Red Fort. Yeah, too. They're kind of. 50-50. Oh, yeah. And, and then yeah. Winterfell's kind of triang oh, triangulation kind of a thing. So there was probably a nice buffer to, I mean, who wants to live next door to those creep? <laughs> yeah, fair point. I've lived next door to some creeps, and it's not pleasant. <laughs> uh, not okay. ones that I think flay, flay people instead. Right. I don't think that's ever gone on. But, quick quick uh, future questions. Will Davos find Rickon? Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> how, how convinced do I sound? You don't sound too convinced. I feel like you're just talking about what Chase. I want to hear. I'm with Chase. Yeah, he'll find him. I mean... His carcass. Otherwise, it's being pretty pointless. A, a right? Unless it's just some extra hero's journey for um, Davos. I mean, you... Uh, that is something I think you mentioned before last time was the... Uh, Odysseus, uh, or maybe I heard that somewhere else that Davos is Someone sort of a, a, a stand-in for Odysseus. Maybe that that does sound uh, like yeah. something uh, maybe Beefish would say. Uh, yeah. Oh, Jeff over at Nauticast, but um, but I mean, otherwise, what's the point? If I mean, yeah, why send him? what's going to happen with the rest of the story other than Davos dies in 
in a shipwreck or gets eaten in Skagos or uh, yeah. Davos doesn't find him and comes back. Why did why did we have all this? You're right. It's it's kind of an or else situation. It's like, well, he finds him or else what? Like, what's the point? Like, did 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 George literally like not know what to do with Davos, so he sent him away for a little while? It's almost like he's got to find oh. him. It's like Finn on Star Wars. Um, oh. well, let's not start. Let's not get in one of those. I'm Yikes. sorry, I said that. Um, <laughs> the, I just thought of this is that <laughs> they talked about uh, uh, Wyman. Wyman mentions that they need Davos. Um, to lead these ships to Skagos, right? They need a smuggler because he doesn't have anyone really trained to sail these ships. They have all these ships and no one to really sail them. Yep. They're like, the best that he has are people that are used to navigating rivers and stuff. No one to go out in the high seas. This, with your what you're saying, Chase, and what you've said, Scad, this is a chance for a, of character growth for Davos. This is a chance for him to get out from under Stannis and become a real leader, right? We already know he's a leader, but to take charge, lead people. And uh, so even if the mission fails, Davos is going to have a chance to to really develop some muscle. You're and, right. And I mean, grow in ways that he hadn't. He's been the captain of his ship before. So he's been like, you know, in charge, but he's not been like a leader of, of men, like a leader of a, a group if it's many ships they're sending or something. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the Black the Battle of the Blackwater seems. I don't know if that was his first actual military engagement, but um, I don't know that it's not either. Yeah. Well, so do you think they like send? Do they send him and one ship and a crew, or do they send a few? A few ships with Davos in like the head ship. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, he must have been involved in the Greyjoy Rebellion, right? He would have been. He was with Stannis, Stannis by then. Or was Stannis that when was the he was major off... naval commander? So, <laughs> or was that when he was off making Devon with Maria? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I bet he fought in the in the rebellion. I can tell you, I feel like uh, show talk alert. I feel like maybe he mentioned it in the show that he did talk in the rebellion, or that he did fight in the rebellion, or he didn't. Yeah, I feel. I mean, because everybody always talks about Thoros rushing through the the gates with yeah. the fire or the crack in the wall yeah. with fiery swords i'm having a memory like i mean maybe i'm totally making it up that maybe he mentioned it interesting but that i don't may, know. that may be true i'd have to look uh Scad, remember how uh, worried we used to be about backing ourselves into corners and not knowing things and yeah you know, six years into this like screw it <laughs> well i think we settled into what our groove is and that is conversational yeah. style and Right. Uh, you know, yep. I don't apologize for it anymore. <laughs> we're we're not out to be the the encyclopedias. That's what the wiki's for. Right. Uh, will there be cannibals on Skagos? I like that we're talking cannibals and how terrible it is, and Davos is sitting in the presence of someone who's about to become a cannibal himself. <laughs> yeah. And he seemed real happy about it. He seems like yeah. really excited. Give me more of that. Bye. That's true. That's true. Oh, if you only knew what he was really planning, Davos. That's true. <laughs> You'd be running for Skagos. <laughs> but uh, all right. Anything else? Anything else from this section? Um, I think Wex is a delight. Doesn't say anything, and he, but he gets his point across. He seems like fully capable and very smart. And now he's getting opportunity to learn to read and write like uh like davos he's gonna better him 
station in life just by learning to read and write. Yeah, I wonder what's totally. going to happen to Wex. You think he goes you with him? He goes, think he goes with Davos? I don't know. It's I like, think he's going to become Davos's little right-hand man. Or is he feeling like immense loyalty now to like Robert Glover? He might. For being his his teacher and stuff. He might. But, yeah, they've know. got kind of, it looks kind of like a budding little, I don't know, relationship, the two of them. He calls him Lad, I think. Which would be, which would actually be super interesting because Glover's home of Deepwood Mott was taken over by, by the Ironborn, right? And his family was taken captive by Asha Greyjoy, and obviously she treated them very well. And now I think his family is, uh, at the Iron Islands in the protection of her uncle, who's the book reader guy, um. Roger the, the reader. Roger the reader. Is that him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's kind of in his protection now, so they're safe the, uh, and everything. Har- Harlaw. Still... Har- is that Harwood? Harlaw. Harla. Yes, Harlaw. Yes, Roger Harlaw. Thank you. Um, so there's there's room for animosity from Robert Glover, and that he's kind of taken this little Ironborn boy under his wing is kind of cool. Also, kinda just to, something about him. To touch on the earlier point, a bastard. Hmm. And a bastard. Yep, he's a pike. Wex Pike. Good point. Yeah, there you go. Good point. So he's bashing on bastards right before he brings Wex in. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> Listen, before this kid comes in, bastards really yeah, suck. Better, better than after bringing him in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, with Wex's skill with a knife, I wouldn't be saying that around him. Yeah. Um, I got a question for you going back to the phrase. Sure. Why do the phrase even want to have a pact with the Manderleys? And even going further than that, why do they even continue this alliance with with the Boltons? With how seclusionist the North is and how, how frankly, willing it seems like the South is to let the North be on their own, why do the why are the phrase still in this game with the Boltons and everything? Well, because they there's yeah, so is. many of them. They and. Uh, they got to get rid of them. Like, like Walder Frey is lousy with people who are, I mean, if you listen to the big and little Walder talk who are just perfectly capable of killing each other. You know what I mean? He's trying to farm them out. Uh And at the same time, you know, create marriage alliances. I mean, the fat wall does marry Darius, you know, like, uh, right. He's trying to cement some of those alliances that weren't cemented because of Rob. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess it goes back to the Walders being uh, the little and big Walder being in the North, even when this whole series starts. Right. Hmm. Sorry, Scad interrupted you. No, I, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's not something I've ever thought about it. I mean, I, I guess if I'm thinking about it now, Walder maybe sees this as his shot. He made the red wedding happen in, you know, in, <clears throat> In so he's like in and now Boltons, and so he's like uh-huh. okay locust time spread my pretties right like, <laughs> go, go I've, I've got 97 heirs i'm gonna send three of them to every single castle i can and and try to you know try to take over basically I, hmm. um not a bad idea you know, I, I don't know i it could be it could be just that <laughs> Roos is saying we got to keep our eye on these guys what well, you know like we said before Roos knows Wyman. Wyman knows Roos. They, they're aware of each other's strengths. Maybe Roos sees right through Wyman and knows he's a plotter, and so he just mm-hmm. sent these three guys there to keep an eye on him. Right. 
And then does Roos have that kind of power to command the phrase because is uh, Walda essentially kind of a hostage for him in his mind? Like, but like, where does he get yeah. that authority to tell the phrase to send people to White Harbor? Well, I mean, he, you know I mean? he is the, I mean, de facto warden of the North. I mean, I, I imagine like, I mean, it never really says like ranking, but you get like King hand yeah, and then he the wardens of the you know north east south and west right? right but with the phrase being in the riverlands it's like you're right there's no direct authority do they owe yeah do they owe the boltons well I are they are the riverlands still sworn to the north they just see a they see a symbiosis they see they can work together and they see mm. they can maybe they maybe they can't do it alone but together maybe they can make something happen here or birds everybody hates both of us yeah. so yeah. let's yeah. team right. up yeah misery yeah. loves company birds of a feather all that right <laughs> yeah and the phrase aren't going to make any more allies in the riverlands or it'd be very difficult they've burned their bridges <laughs> get it bridge <laughs> twins get I mean, it i mean from a realist- in, the, in the riverlands Go ahead, with sorry. the red wedding so you know riverlanders died at the red wedding so they got to go elsewhere to find allies i suppose and and frankly, um, they need to make allies with northern houses because the north remembers. They they remember the red wedding, and mm. if they don't make them allies quickly, then they might. And and if Roos doesn't win and and keep hold, well, that's a lot of a lot of angry cold men coming your way for the twins to get <laughs> yeah. revenge, right? And what do you do yeah. when it gets cold in the north? You head south. <laughs> Good point. Good right. point. But I that that is that is pretty wall- ballsy though to come back with the bones yes. of <laughs> this guy's son and you, you start talking about marriage packs. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Pretty ballsy, old Rhaegar Frey. Well, are we to the end of our end of our analysis for this chapter? I think so. Uh, be careful, Davos. Do I have anything else to maybe? Yeah. Not dead Davos. yet. <laughs> All right, well, let's go. Guys, ahead. well, admit go ahead. it real quick. Admit it. For that one paragraph when they say "bring the lad in" or whatever they says, oh. you thought that was Rickon for a second, didn't the you? First, the first, the first time. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, just making sure I wasn't the only one. And then you were a little disappointed when you're like, "Oh." Who's this kid? I was a lot disappointed. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, I would, I that's like the la, that's the last Davos chapter. It's like the 29th or 30th chapter in the book, and yeah. you never see the dude again, and it's it's frustrating. Yeah, well, especially oh, because yeah. like the very the the chapter previous to it is like a fake out death for Davos. Mm-hmm. I've got the the tabs in the books that show me the chapters. I did that once watching movies one night. Wow. The last Davos chapter is right here. This is the front of the book. This is the last Davos chapter. This is great and podcast radio. Have, <laughs> and you have all of this. I'm showing them the actual book. It's page, the last Davos chapter starts on page 421. And the book ends at page 1051. 600 pages. So you have wow. 600 pages of no Davos. Yeah. 
after a really big reveal. That's yeah. tough for readers. Yeah, it heartbreaking because it's so it's such a good chapter. You're dying for more of that. We saw it before I, with Theon, right? And now we get it with Davos. And, oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I feel like I thought that this chapter came later on in the book before reading it this time, but just because of its impact. Yes, I agree. All right, um, Chase, you want to start us off with a sign-off? You got anything? Uh, yeah, I I do. I wanted to probably. I it's. I generally always want to quote George Carlin whenever I'm quoting things um, because he makes me laugh. So I got, I kind of, I have my George Carlin quote and then I have my A Song of Ice and Fire quote. And uh, okay. George Carlin's, uh, think of how stupid the average person is and remember that half of everyone is dumber than that. <laughs> and he, he he said another thing that said in America Nobody on this cast. Yeah. In America, anyone can become the president. And that's the problem. <laughs> and I think those two go together nicely. Um my but and but my actual a song of ice and fire quote um is by, of course, Dolores Ed Tollett. I never wanted to see half the things I've seen, and I've never seen half the things I wanted to. Ed to <laughs> Ed to Sam. Ed to Sam. You know that's not a bad ratio, to be honest. If you if I got to see half the things I really wanted to see, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Ed needs to dream a little bigger. <laughs> Love you. Ed. Ed's not much of a dreamer, but. Oh, oh! Uh, there, there was one thing that I thought of. I'm sorry to. <laughs> okay. uh, in 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 some of the notes for this, you would, we're going to ask about uh, about me and Ed, and the song of ice and fire. Yeah. Or uh, excuse me, a song of mm-hmm. madness, and uh, I just thought it was funny because Ed actually has a quote that goes perfect for. Do I think Ed will ever win a song of madness? And Ed would say, you know, to all these people who keep voting for me, I would make an awful champion of a song of madness, but so would all these others. That's perfect. That's perfect. That is perfect. That's his uh, slogan. Yep. But vote for Ed. Vote for Ed, y'all. Come on. Come on. March is coming up again. Oh my God! Pandemic started when a song of madness was going on, and it's so going to happen again. Song of madness yeah. just... saved my life, guys. Saved my life. Got us through those first couple months for sure. All right, I'm sorry. I'm terrible at signing off. <laughs> no, let's milk fine. this, man. Who knows when we're going to get to do this? The three of us again. Indeed. So let's milk Totes. this thing. Totes with yeah. goats, as yeah. Paul Rudd would say. Totes uh, you even said it with the right inflection. Totes my goats. Uh, gotta go with the Dave Matthews quote as I was reading that first part of the uh, the Davos chapter with him you know the worst part is not the dying it's not knowing when or how and quotes like a man should have more to say when staring at the end of his life uh, simple quote by Dave Matthews that is much easier said than done but uh, I guess this is Matt signing off saying every day should be a good day to die Oof. yeah it's rough um yeah and uh on that note i guess um 
in 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 deference to Shatterjack, who sent a, a, a beautiful song my way that I'd never heard before this week. Um, if today is your day to die, uh, just try to leave something behind. Best you can. Leave those footprints. Yeah. Um, right. Chase. Chase, it's thanks, been a pleasure, man. my friend. Uh, thank you. It was a blast. <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, this was a ton of fun. You know, uh, the we, you know we've got the opportunity to chat like this a few times online, and it, right. it's always fun. And this was, uh, I kind of liked the structure of this. Actually, analyzing the chapter uh, with you, but uh, yeah, no, it and it felt just like every other time we sat and done this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh so, man, pull up a chair to the we, fire. We've had so many just chats live and online before that this just felt really natural to ease into this. And I'm grateful that we've had the opportunity to put this one on tape, you know, that we've got a record of chatting with the great, great ghost chase killer now. So it was real. I was um, here. You're, you're a good man. You're Absolutely. very lucky to call you friend and, uh, definitely think the world of you. So thank you. Thanks glad we could have you. I, I actually, I'm sorry. I, I, I was talking about you guys to a, to my friend Chuck today. Um, and I told him that uh, I was getting to do this podcast with these guys that were really cool. I, uh, with, with Scott, <laughs> I have, he and I are on this same level. We're very close in age. We have, I like our opinions on a lot of things are just so in line. Like I feel a real connection to him. And I, I told him, even though I've only met Matt, you know, in person this one weekend, we've, we've chatted a lot and I am not a religious person. I know, I, I told him, I know maybe five people who really walk the walk. You know what I mean? I know lots mm. of Christians that talk the talk. I know maybe a, a handful of people that walk the walk and like, this is the guy. I was like, this guy is oh, a good you. person, someone I... I want to be around to maybe I'll be better. You know what I mean? Mm. Thanks, Matt. You're, you're, you're cool. Well, <laughs> thanks for walking the walk, man. Well, have you ever, uh, you ever read the book of Mormon? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what was your address again? I got some guys. Who I'm gonna send uh, <laughs> man, that Brazil trip cancellations really hit me hard on that. <laughs> no, uh, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. I, Yep. And, and thank right. you. Thank you for my answers. Wow. Yeah. Well, we've we've finished the circle jerk, so let's uh, <laughs> sign off here. You finished? Well, we've already signed off. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, I finished a long time ago, man. <laughs> I've already used the hand sanitizer. I'm good. S- yeah. Send me what you use. This... I, it's just not working for me. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, good guys. night, guys. Bye, everyone. All right. Uh, are you guys ready to dive in? Um, sure. Whenever Just you are. a quick double check. Did everyone press record? Uh, yes, let me double check. But I started recording when he started asking me about my work. Just in case. <laughs> yeah, good call. In case, you, you were, in case I said something dumb. You're already getting the hang of this thing, man. Yeah. You know yeah. how our outtakes work. <laughs> yep. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Chase has the blunt. Uh, this is great. The little, little joint. I got. I, I did get to go see to a weird um, 
like a wholesale place for dispensaries and processors today. It's the first time I've ever been to a place like that. Like a convention. You can, yeah, no, I mean, you can, it's like the dollar store <laughs> is what it reminded me of. Uh, except they had packs of gummies and, and cartridges and you, like oh. in the back, if you ask for it, they have pounds of flour. It was nuts. I went there because um, we're doing a, a food drive with a couple of dispensaries. Oh, cool. um, so I, uh, but I've got some excess flour and we are going to roll it. Just, I'm going to grind it all up and roll it all up into pre-rolls. And then I'm going to, you know, basically give it or sell it for a penny to the dispensaries. And then for like every so many donations, people, I'll give people a ticket in their lobby and then they can go in and get a pre-roll for a penny. Wow. Oh, before we do real quick, sorry, Matt, you're going to have to cut this. I got a voice in mind for Wyman that I'm going to try, but it may just be terrible. <laughs> and if it is, we'll have to start over. <laughs> so. All right, party on. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs>